our podcast this week is Indiana Jones and the Pod of Destiny as we talk to Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny producers Kathleen Kennedy and Frank Marshall. We chose wisely. (laughs) Plus usual news and nonsense on the movie podcast that isn't so much award losing, more award nominated. There's a difference, a crucial difference. Uh, hello, Pod. I'm Chris Hewitt. Welcome to the Empire Podcast. Uh, this week, we're back in the studio. We're always in the studio. I don't, I don't know why I keep saying that, but we are in the studio. And I'm joined by not one, not two, but three colleagues of such lethal cunning. Geek Queen Helen O'Hara is here. Hello. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. I'm back in town and, you know. After Glastonbury? Down. After Glastonbury, I will yes. grill you relentlessly about that sure. uh, in just a second. A great big fucking nerve, James Dyer, is here. Hello. Jimbo, you and I, last night we were at the PPI Awards. We were vanquished. We were. Vanquished. We were demolished by another podcast. Another, which, um, with, with whose name I shall withhold. <laughs> Mainly because I can't remember what it was. <laughs> really Congratulations. Uh, yes, once again, not award losing, award no. nominated. It is always an honour to be nominated. And speaking of an honour to be nominated, joining us back, <laughs> returning to the fourth chair for the first time in a year or so, is Oscar nominated editor of Top Gun Maverick and the forthcoming Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1 it's only Eddie Hamilton bow in his general direction oh god bless you Chris Thank <laughs> how you. are you Eddie I'm super excited to be here had a great time last night love the show love the podcast listen every week so I'm it's an honour to be in your company and oh. uh, talking movies talking movies and a couple of weeks now until Mission comes out so that's very exciting yes. are you finished <laughs> <laughs> yes we are finished we finished a couple of weeks ago uh, this morning I was QCing the 4DX version of the movie Ooh. Uh, which is uh, a, a great fun seats move wind blows in your face uh, they nudge you in the back and all kinds of things Tom Cruise dangles down the, from the ceiling Tom Cruise dangles down. <laughs> smoke is like emitted into the audience in the auditorium you know when the mission self-destructs wow. Yeah, it's really cool. There are strobe lights as well. And um, they did a great job on Top Gun Maverick last year and they've done another. It's 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 literally like being in a theme park ride for the whole duration of the movie. It's great fun. Um, I, I think I might be a little old for it. <laughs> there, was, there was a part in the middle of the movie where I was like, I think I'm too old for this. <laughs> but my kids are going to love it, you know. <laughs> Maybe you guys aren't ready for that yet. Yeah. Maybe your kids you guys are going to love it. Exactly. Oh, so, my word. Yeah, but so we are still like ticking. We're just like the final few things. Like I saw the last 25, no, I saw 25 minutes of the ScreenX conversion of Mission right. yesterday, which is where they put stuff on the sides of the cinema okay. and there's, there's one of those in Wandsworth Cineworld there's one at the O2 they're all over the country I think there's like 300 screens in the world now and um, because we only have IMAX for a, a week because of a certain Christopher Nolan movie coming <laughs> along the week after and I love Chris Nolan and he shot his film on 70mm IMAX so you know he deserves all the IMAX screens. Yeah, he's quite, exhausted. Quite frankly, um, but the ScreenX will continue as a, as an, an enhanced way of watching the movie, and it's astonishing the way they the, we we send them all the VFX assets and all the dailies for the sequences that they're converting, and they rotoscope people out and put them on the sides and work out how to extend the set. It's uh, it's astonishing. It's like witchcraft when you watch it. You're like, how on earth did they ever do this? And they did it for Top Gun Maverick as well. And it was phenomenally good, this, the conversion. And they're doing about 54 minutes maybe of the movie. Wow. Maybe, no, maybe 60, 62 minutes. Anyway, it's a lot. It's a lot. The record was Top Gun. Then it was 
uh, Wakanda Forever. They they pipped it, and now and now I think R one might be more. Anyway, so we're still putting the final finishing touches to it with two weeks to go. Good but Lord. Um, the rest of the crew, you know, Chris McQuarrie, Tom Cruise, and the cast—they're all traveling around the world doing the the junkets in different countries. They're in Seoul, Korea, right now, where they had the Seoul premiere last night, the Korean premiere. Yeah, that's amazing. amazing. Yeah, it's really good. All right. Well, uh, Helen, I'm definitely going to grill you on Glastonbury in a second because no Helen was in Glastonbury uh, last time. Uh, Jimbo, when I were at an awards do last night, as I said, the uh, the PPI awards, it was it was very nice. Uh, Ellie Taylor was the host, uh, yes, she and was. there was there was a nice there was a nice three course meal. Although uh, Jimbo didn't get his dessert, they Eddie. didn't give me my dessert. Yeah. I'm still waiting for my he fucking ordered eaten mess. The vegan eaten mess, and they said they took. I'm one not a vegan. Said you're not eating that. I mess. just wanted the eaten mess. I know, but and by I'm being just difficult, I fucked myself out of a dessert. You did. You absolutely yeah. did. Yeah. Uh, was, I chose poorly. How does that compare and contrast to your Oscars experience? Oh, my word. Uh, okay, so the Oscars experience, listen, I, I had an amazing time. Paramount really looked after me. Myself and my wife were flown over to the Oscar luncheon, Ooh, which is in yeah. March, where all the nominees get, I think it's in, no, February, February. All the nominees get invited to the Beverly Hilton for a, for a really nice lunch. You're sat at tables of 12 with, you know, other Oscar nominees and their partners. In the same field or do you get mixed and matched? Mixed and matched. So I was with mostly documentary people. and okay. then, But Malala Yousaf was like right there because she was Whoa. there for the documentary category. But the highlight for me, the highlight for me was they, they do the class photograph and they, after lunch, they start reading out all the nominees' names and you walk up to this gigantic part of the Beverly Hilton ballroom and you go and take your seat and they kind of direct you all around. And it's astonishing because it is just solid A-listers wherever you look. <laughs> uh, it is quite extraordinary. But the real highlight for me was I, I was stood right at the far left, okay? And then 10 people later after was Steven Spielberg was called out. And he walked over and stood right in front of me, right? And I was able to go, Steven Spielberg, hi, I'm Eddie. I edited Top Gun Maverick. And you know what? He was so nice. He said, I've seen the movie six times in the theatre. I took all my grandchildren. I absolutely love it. I'm so thrilled that movie's done so well. You've saved cinema. <laughs> and then he said, let's all have a selfie. And he like got his phone out because Kate Blanchett and Austin Butler and Chris McCrory were right behind. And I was like... This is nuts. <laughs> and I, and I, I also, I got to say to him, I just got to thank him for decades of incredible experiences in cinemas and say like, I am personally, my favourite indie is Temple of Doom, which I know is I'm in the minority, but I had the most incredible experience seeing that in a cinema. Um, and, and I just have the happiest memories of that experience. So I just wanted to communicate that and say, dude, I, and he, he's That's so wild. nice. Mm. He's so nice. So, I knew I wasn't going to win because Paul Rogers and Everything Everywhere All at Once had won all the other editing awards in every category. So I was going along just for the ride. My kids amazingly got to go. So my oh, my yeah my 17-year-old uh, and my 13-year-old were in the audience, slightly further back from myself and my wife. I was sat right behind Ryan Johnson and his wife. And so I was like, good luck. Good luck with your, you know, award, Ryan. And he was like, good luck, Eddie. Because Chris McCorry had introduced me. So, and what I didn't realise with the, with the Oscars is you when you turn up, there's enormous amounts of security for obvious reasons. Mm. And then everyone is just stood waiting to go onto the, the, the red carpet for photographs. And of course, 
the B and C listers, quite frankly, I'm a D lister. Who cares about the editor for anything, right? But, you know, you've got like The Rock and Emily Blunt and Angela Bassett and, you know, just endless A listers parading past who are all like getting their photos taken and everyone else is just stood waiting politely. And then it came to like 10 to five. The show started on the dot of five. And then suddenly we're kind of ushered through and I'm like, hi, yes, waving. I'm like, no one wants, no one gives a shit about me. Why am I bothering having a photo taken? <laughs> but it was nice as a thing to do. And then suddenly I saw Nicole Kidman being ushered at great speed past me up towards the, 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 the main um, auditorium. And I was like, what's going on? And then, so we followed her. And then just as we arrived, they slammed the doors shut and they went, the show's starting in 10 seconds and we're not allowing anyone in because they're going to cut to a big wide shot of the auditorium and all the seats have to be full and no one can be walking around. And Nicole Kidman was sat in the front row and was part of the opening monologue. So they had to get her in her seat. So that's why she was being... Anyway, and then... So we we just drifted off to the green room and sat in the green room for the until the first commercial break, which was 20 minutes in. And uh, But what's astonishing is that every, all the people who are waiting to hand out Oscars are waiting in the green room. So I, it, Charlotte and I, my wife and I, were just looking around at all these people going, this is just completely nuts. This is so nuts. I can't believe I'm here doing this. You know, the eight-year-old child... In me is just doing cartwheels with uh, astonishment that that I find myself, you know, at the Academy Awards. First commercial break, 20 minutes into the show, every there's like panic, everyone charges around. We find our seats. The the you know, there's all these stories about people who take your seat immediately you yeah. get up. Yeah. Yeah. And so that is really a thing. And so the people sitting on our seats very graciously immediately got up and sat down. And then then we got to enjoy the show. Um and it was great fun being in the room and watching it all happen. Jimmy Kimmel was really good. And, you know, John Travolta did the In Memoriam section. And, of course, Olivia Newton-John. So it was very moving. And what I didn't realise is that during the commercial breaks, everyone just gets up and has a chat because there's all these people that you haven't seen for ages. So everyone is just walking to the front and saying hi to Kate Blanchett or hi to Austin <laughs> Butler, you know, whatever. And everyone's going, good luck, Angela Bassett. Good luck. Everyone's, you know, and... I. Charlotte and I just sat there like looking around going, this is nuts. But I became quite good friends with um, Jonathan Redmond and Matt Villa, who edited Elvis. Right. And I'm a gigantic Baz Luhrmann fan. Moulin Rouge played a huge part in the courtship of me and my wife, mm. right? And I remember I, I took my wife Charlotte uh, for like on our... I don't know, we, we were engaged, we weren't married, and I arranged for us to have a screening of Moulin Rouge at BAFTA in oh, one of the screening rooms there. And it was a total surprise for her. And when I emailed BAFTA, I said, "Can would you mind if I hire one of the screening rooms to put on Moulin Rouge as a Valentine's Day surprise for my wife? And they, they emailed Mac and they said, that's such a great idea. We won't charge you a penny. Absolutely, <laughs> you should do that. We're total romantics what? here oh, at BAFTA. Bless them. So it was great. And Were you a member or was this just I a... was a member. I was a member. Okay. It wasn't a shot so in the I dark. took Charlotte for lunch at BAFTA and then uh, at the end of the at the end of the and it was quite it wasn't full because lunch on Valentine's Day isn't a big deal at BAFTA you know like There's in the no evening love it would have been <laughs> but then but then the maitre d came up and he said um, Charlotte would you like to come upstairs and I'll show you some BAFTA memorabilia and fun stuff and she was like okay then <laughs> I suppose so so she walks up and we walk into the Run Run Shore Theatre which is one of their screening rooms and they've taken out all the chairs and they've put two armchairs there and <laughs> oh a God. bottle of champagne on ice and Charlotte's like what is going on I'm like 
just wait and see. And then they shut the door. And of course, the red curtain opens at the start of Moulin Rouge. She's like, this is awesome. <laughs> and we next spend the next two and a half hours singing at the top of our voices. The entire, all the songs from Moulin Rouge, uh, all the lyrics, we we know them. You know, there was that time when all we did was listen to the Moulin Rouge soundtrack. So we knew all the words and we had a great time. Anyway, I wanted to tell Baz Luhrmann a 20-second version of that story <laughs> just to say, look, this is this is the gift that you gave me personally as a filmmaker, you know. Mm. And Matt Villa, in one of the commercial breaks, I walked over to see the Top Gun cast who were all in a booth, like, like a, um, a box at the side of the auditorium. Uh -huh. So I said hi to them all because I worked with them very closely for a year, you know, day, day in, day out. And then... Matt Villa sees me walking past and he's like, Eddie, come over here. And he was stood right next to Baz Luhrmann and he said, come over, come over, come over. So I just brazenly walked up to Baz Luhrmann and said, hi, Baz, my name's Eddie. I'm the ed editor on Top Gun. I just wanted to tell you a, a, a tiny story about the courtship of me and my wife in your movie. I'm probably the 10,000th person to come up and tell you how much they love me. <laughs> that exact rich. story. Yeah, exactly. And he was like, Dude, I don't care. You can, you can be the 10,000th and one person. It's always great to hear that stuff. Thank you so much for coming up to talk to me. So I, it was just, that was a real highlight was getting to meet Baz Luhrmann and telling him how much I loved his films. Then what happens when your award is yeah. getting close in the commercial break before it's announced, they move you closer to the stage so that you have... So you're closer, so you have less distance to walk up, right? To make sure, because the, obviously the running time of the Academy Awards is a thing and it always overruns. But one of the ways they try to minimise that is by moving the nominees oh, closer to the front. Okay. So we were moved to like yeah. fourth row from the front, huh. all the editing nominees. So I was sat right next to the Daniels who had their collection of Oscars just <laughs> on the floor next to them. You know, so, so they won't miss one. No, so no just... yes, exactly. <laughs> but it was, it was nuts. And then when they're actually reading the nominations out, and I'm like, I'm not going to win because Paul but Rogers a, has won everything. But, but there's 5% of you <laughs> yes. going, I better... Anyway, yes. and of course, all day you've been running through some kind of acceptance of speech. Of course. Of course. Because you don't want to forget to thank your wife and Tom Cruise and, you know, the and Jerry, Jerry Bruckheimer. Yeah, and, and, Eddie, and Eddie, you weren't going <laughs> to. Exactly. You thank the Empire Podcast but, but specifically. It's, it's, it's such a weird cocktail of emotions going through because you're like, in 10 seconds, I could be talking to 200 million people on live TV. <laughs> That's what you're thinking. Or my, and my life could change. Or, but it's not going to because I know Paul is going to win because he's won everything else. Sure enough, Paul Rogers goes and I'm thrilled for him, right? Astonishing achievement, what, what those guys did with everything, everywhere, all at once. But um, the then, then going to the governor's ball is upstairs and that's where people get their Oscars engraved. So there's a lot of very happy people queuing up and they engrave the Oscars live, you know, at this huge ball. And my kids were brazen. They literally walked around with their phones. Pedro, can I have a selfie, please? No problem. <laughs> Angela, can I have a selfie, please? You know, literally, Michelle, 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 I loved you in Crazy Rich Asians. Please, can I have a selfie? So my kids literally walked around and got, even though that's strictly forbidden, quite frankly, <laughs> but there's not many kids, there's not many really kind of teenage kids at the Oscars. And so they, and they're, they're cute kids and everyone was like, of course, of course, of course. So they went back to school with this enormous, like, <laughs> bucket load of selfies with with A-listers, you know, which will be great fun for them. And But the fairy tale ending didn't happen, so they didn't get to see their dad win an Oscar live in the room. Yet. Yeah, well, I, who knows? I think Top Gun was quite a unicorn movie, so I, I don't, you know, I'm not 
it's I don't know if that that kind of thing is going to happen again to me, but still, it was it was incredible, and I, I, the eight year old kid in me was just absolutely like doing cartwheels the entire time because you know you've dreamed about this like for 40 years mm. you know uh, and i've watched the oscars every year like we all have because we're all fans of just supporting the movies and being like a part of history just by watching it live you know and so to be there it was it was great fun and a, a great memory well um, yeah. Eddie, it's all very impressive <laughs> but let me tell you about the ppa awards <laughs> yes <laughs> so the guitar category, uh, best uh, best yes. podcast, I believe it was. And that was the eighth eighth uh, award. Yeah, uh, they yeah. fly by because they don't give a shit. And so they, they just go best podcast, and here are the nominees. Boom, and here's the winner. And then they read out the the judges' summary. Yeah, yeah. and within the first three words, Jimbo, yeah. because the same thing. Five percent of you goes, I'm, I just you know, I just know we're not going to win these things. Uh, yeah. But then there's five percent of you that goes like we professional might. and organized. Yes. And we were immediately like, yes, because <laughs> they went, they went. It's not us. This competent podcast no, was no, no, that's no, it. That's this, not us. this listenable podcast. No, was, again, <laughs> that was a big. That was a big us. tip off. Yeah. Uh, but they went his unique approach, and I was like, "Damn it!" I mean, my approach is pretty unique, but this isn't a one man band. So this is you know this is this is ours. Um, and so once they said that, yeah. we knew we, we were. And then going. when they went the Pilot TV yeah. podcast, you were just like. Yeah, that was it. It was like, it wasn't even nominated. What the hell? <laughs> and then James just fully busted for the rest of the night. And yeah. then about 30 seconds later, they were on to the next award. So I think um, our stories are quite comparable. Yeah, they're similar. <laughs> In some very ways. similar. Mm. Very, very similar. But who suspect- did you get a selfie with? Yeah. Nobody. Oh. And not even him. No, it's true. I, I refused. It's just frowned upon. I wouldn't allow it. But uh, did you get an eaten mess though? That's the question. Yeah. I did yeah. not get an what's eaten a, mess. What's the food like at the Governor's Ball? It's insane. <laughs> There's so much of it. You can get every kind of food imaginable. And there's like endless chocolate fountains and, you know, barbecues oh. with shrimp and chicken. And uh, it, it's and Wolfgang Puck does it. It's a whole deal. There's chocolate Oscars everywhere. You know, it is... It, uh, it, I don't know. It, guys, it, it, right. It's just nuts. I think we need to make a prestige drama. <laughs> yeah. I think we might have to. I think, I think we do. Eddie, yeah. are you in? Can we, can we yeah. tear you away Let's from the it. queue? Let's do it. Let's I, was, it. Exactly. I, was, I was in with chocolate fountains yeah. everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. That was, yeah. that was yeah. the selling You had oh me at Wolfgang Puck. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Uh, Helen, I will grill you about uh, Glastonbury at some point, but we probably should get on with uh, the I rest mean, of the show. Probably, yeah, uh, yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, all in good time. I've just seen the picture of you. I looked up the picture. Oh, I was trying to find. Is. There it is. Spielberg genuinely we'll, we'll is right in front of Spielberg me. Spielberg is right in front of Eddie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Look there. See? There he is. That's me. And there then there's is. Steven Spielberg. There's right the man. There. And there's Austin Butler. Right, on, Austin Butler right was right next you. to me. Yeah. Good yeah. Lord. Look at that. Look it's at that. nuts, isn't it? Oh, Brendan Gleeson around yeah. as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. Oh, that is Macquarie dream. just behind Brendan Gleeson. Macquarie was right behind. Yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. Eddie, you were sitting in the seat that uh, Macquarie occupied last week whenever he and I recorded what, what is apparently the first part of our Mission Impossible <laughs> Dead Reckoning Part 1 mega spoiler special. Oh, that's part so one. Uh, we so... did We did a mere six hours last Friday uh, <laughs> and then he was he was called away and uh, and so we have agreed to do a second one. So, Great. yeah, first part's going to be up towards the of July, a couple of weeks after the I film think you're comes out, you're gonna love it. You're gonna. Yeah, that's great. I, I'm very excited to hear it. It's gonna so be. Right. It's gonna be absolutely off the chain. I cannot wait for that. But anyway, let's get on. Let's get on, and uh, let's have a question. Now, I asked people to send in questions. Uh, the uh, <laughs> archetypal panicked shout out, uh, and I liked a couple of the questions, but there's one that really did catch my eye. Nick Keith, eighty six, biggest question of the year. It's the twentieth of July. Which do you watch first, 
Oppenheimer or Barbie <laughs> and why? Now, we know that Tom Cruise and Chris McQuarrie have got their tickets for Oppenheimer and Barbie. Lovely, lovely picture of them. You're seeing think, uh, supporting other other people's movies, which yeah. is which is nice. Yeah. Hellspells, what are you doing? The, the, look, the, the right answer, if you want to call it that, is probably to see Oppenheimer first, which I think we all expect to be a little bit more of a downer. With respect, you know, dealing with serious subject matter and drama and so on. And then have Barbie as the chaser to bring your mood back up from whatever seriousness yeah. it has landed in. That's probably the correct answer. Watch Oppenheimer, then go party. Here's my suggestion now. <laughs> Why not Barbie, Oppenheimer, Barbie? Whoa. An Oppenheimer sandwich. An Oppenheimer sandwich with Barbie on either side to maintain your equilibrium. 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 You put that after yes. Barbie. So be Barbie, Barbie, Oppenheimer, yeah. Barbie, equilibrium. Yeah. Nolan has said that people people come out of Oppenheimer unable to talk, which is pretty much how I felt after seeing Equilibrium for the first time. A film, a film. I quite frankly, I'm terrified to revisit in case in case it turns out to be terrible. If Sean Pertwee's disembodied head does not appear in Oppenheimer, frankly, I'll be very disappointed. Yes, not without incident. I believe he plays the mushroom cloud. <laughs> Uh, Jimbo, what are you going to see? Are you going to see them, first of all? Yes. yes they're, they're, I, they are movies. Yes, they uh, are going to see them. I'm disappointed that I won't be able to see Barbie in IMAX because Christopher Nolan has taken all the screens, so that's uh, that's mm. obviously disappointing. But, um, oh, which would I watch first? Like, if, if, the, if the screenings were on the same day and I had to pick one, it would be Barbie. And... The main reason for that is I'm so fascinated to see what this film... I like. I, mm. In the nicest way in the world, I kind of know what Oppenheimer is. Yeah. Like Going in, I know what that film is. It's going to be great. I know what it... I don't know what Barbie is going to be. I have no sense of the fabric of that movie, and I'm fascinated. Probably a polyester. Yeah, almost certainly. I, I, I have to see it. I have yeah. to experience Barbie. I do. So, probably that. We were having a conversation yesterday. Uh, I can't... Helen, who was it with? I can't remember who it was with. I think, I'm pretty sure it was me and you having a conversation with someone else. And we were talking about box office predictions mm. for the rest of the year. And someone asked us, what do you think Oppenheimer's going to do? And I went, I have no idea. Mm. I, th I, I think it's going to do fine, but it's not going to be, I don't think, the, the box office winner that week, if I'm honest. We shall see. But, you know, it might have legs. It might have I'm legs. I'm sure it will have legs. Again, I, I think it's but, going to be a very good film. I think he's a very good filmmaker. I'm yeah. sure, you know, it's got all these IMAX screens, which won't hurt. And it will look great on IMAX because he, he shoots for that format and everything else. But I, I, I think just for sheer novelty factor, just for the mystery of it that James was talking, and just for... The what the heck is it of it? I think it's it's like it. Surely it's got to be Barbie. Um, assuming it's not Mission Impossible: Dead Reckoning Part One. No, of course, okay. of course, but yeah, the question wasn't even something. which is going to do better. It's like no, know, what is Oppenheimer yeah. going to do at the box office? And I don't know. No. I don't know. It could have incredible legs. It could be an amazing movie. But just the the sheer chutzpah of releasing what a three hour. Is it entirely black and white? No, it's not. No, it's good. No, there's bits in color. Yeah. Okay, so a three hour, but some of it's a black and white drama about the man who built a nuclear bomb in the middle of summer and sticking at IMAX. That is one hell of a swing. I, I mean, have to he, say. He's, yeah, he's a filmmaker who's, I guess, earned a, a certain amount of, you know, he has big movie treatment for his movies. But um, it could do anything from 20 million to 200 million. It could do anything. And it's know. impossible to tell on these. I, what, what I am excited about is I think that both of these films. Um, are going to get people to the cinema. Mm. And and I love that we in the film lovers community are treating it as the face-off of ages. I'm not saying that's what you're saying, Chris, but you know, generally 
film lovers are talking about this like it's the face-off to end all face-offs. And normal people are only going to be interested in one or the other, <laughs> realistically. <Yeah. laughs> and I just kind of find that fascinating. So I'm I'm just really excited well, that they're both coming out in the same week. You're either Team Barbie or Team Oppenheimer. I'm Team Cinema. Uh, Eddie, <laughs> what, about, what about you? I will be going to see Oppenheimer in celluloid 70mm at the... At the at the um, IMAX on the South Bank, you know, the Waterloo Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I want to see, listen, I, I've seen all of his films and I saw Ghost Protocol in, you know, 70mm IMAX, but all of his movies since The Dark Knight, which I think was the first one that he did in IMAX, with an IMAX, with an IMAX mm, release yeah. with yeah. changing aspect ratios. But this is all 70mm, you know, so it's all photochemical and I'm just a total nerd for mm. that stuff. Like I saw, I remember seeing Interstellar there twice and just being, it's just astonishing mm. seeing that stuff. The resolution of the film, it's mm. majestic. You know, it, I think it was four frames out of sync and they would lace the projector up wrong for that. And then I went two weeks later and it was still four frames out of sync. <laughs> oh, no. Which as an editor, I'm like, oh God, Chris and Nolan would be, would, be, would be so frustrated. But if you lace the IMAX projector up wrong, then it's stuck. You know, you, it's a huge deal to have to unlace it oh, my and re-sync it and stuff. No, I'll definitely go and see Oppenheimer. And I desperately want to see Barbie. My kids are so excited about Barbie. All my team, my editorial team on Mission, the the ladies on the team are all like desperate to see it. They're so excited. So I wish it well. And I actually think it'll do like Dunkirk numbers. Interesting. So I reckon, yeah, I reckon like about 400, 400 million, I, something yeah. like that. I think that's realistic. I think you never, it's a bit like James Cameron, you know, never bet against James Cameron. Mm -hmm. I do think that there is, there is an inbuilt like fan base of Nolan f fans who are gigantic in number and will turn up to watch the movie. And if you look at, if you go on the, the, the IMAX website and try and book tickets, there are no tickets for Oppenheimer for the first like 30 shows at the South Bank. It's booked, it, every mm, seat is wow. sold out and they're doing like all night screenings and they're all sold out. So, wow. you know, yeah, yeah. So it's, you know, or, or the only tickets available are the ones like right in the front row on the left. Yeah, you don't want to sit in the IMAX and watch that. You want to be like, you know, in the kind of rear third of the theatre. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know. See, that's my only issue with that screen, which has a lovely screen, that mm. there's only maybe, I think, generously like 30 usable seats in there. <laughs> like, like, like I've, I've seen films there yeah. in, when, you've, when you're when you off to the side near the front and it yeah. is utterly miserable. Yeah, yeah. Everyone's so. face is just gigantically warped, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, yeah. it's hideous. Um, but I'm... I just... I love watching IMAX film mm -hmm. mm. in its cinema and it's... There's something very romantic about it. And I love the fact that he is one of the filmmakers who's like aggressively pursuing, I think Denis Villeneuve as well, right? On yeah, June I think so. He's doing that. I'm very excited, but I will go and see both because I love cinema. And so cinema. I'll be there. Yeah. Hooray for cinema. Hooray <laughs> for movies. Well, I will be going on July 21st to see Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning. <laughs> there you are. Part one, three times in a row. <laughs> uh, no, I don't know. I don't know. I think I probably would. Yeah. Because if, if it's true and people have been coming out of Oppenheimer unable to talk, uh, yeah, I'm not so sure I want that to be my <laughs> defining experience for the day. So I might see Oppenheimer first. It's like the kill list. Like you came out of the kill list with the kill list stare. That's what Ben Wheatley said. Yes. You yeah. came out, you came out going, what the hell have I just seen? Uh, and I, I don't want that. I want to have Barbie erase that stare. But what if Barbie's just as depressing? It could be. What no if one's it considered is? this. No, no one's, no one's thought of that, have they? Of the two films, that is the one more likely to have a temporal pincer movement. <laughs> <laughs> you never know. You never know. 
All right, real quick, and I just want I want okay. one nomination from each of you here, rather than a ten minute discussion. Although I'd love I could do a discussion about this guy for two hours. But this is a question from Foul Shopaholic. We might do this in depth next week. She says, "I saw a Dial of Destiny today, so my brain is all about Harrison Ford. What is your Same, favorite non-franchise Ooh. Harrison Ford performance?" Ooh, okay. Hey. Eddie immediately, like on University Challenge, started conferring with Helen. <laughs> <laughs> what are you? What are you? Are you looking at the MTV? Yeah, yeah, we're, we're just having. Oh, like, come on! Cheating. That is cheating. We are yes, cheating. Absolutely we are cheating. cheating. Well, if yeah, you're doing that, I'm going to charge my phone. Uh, <laughs> How does that make sense? <laughs> uh, I'm just running out of battery. Wait, Blade Runner start counts as a franchise, it does. Though, doesn't it? It does. Yeah. Yes. Frankly, so does Patriot I, Games and Glim Present Danger. I know. I think I'm just going to go for Air Force One. Because oh, it's awesome. that's 100% Sorry, mine. Yeah. I'm going to go for Get Air Force One. Get off my plane. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I showed it to my kids the other day because they were on a kind of diehard slash speed yeah. slash one yeah. man on a yeah. thing kind of movie. And I said, there's, there's, there's a really great one that Wolfgang Peterson directed called Air Force One, which has an amazing Jerry Goldsmith score. One mm. of the best Jerry Goldsmith scores, which apparently was written at the 11th hour and 59th minute the way sometimes they are these scores because Wolfgang Peterson didn't like the original score right. Jerry Goldsmith came in and crushed it and that movie is it stands up it's thoroughly entertaining oh, from start yeah. to finish it's great wait he changed score on on that as well as Troy he did That's Peterson as well isn't it he did the he had yeah. the Gabriel Gabriel, Gabriel Yarrett score, score yeah, yeah and then went to what with James Horner on James that James Horner I yeah. think yeah but but yes, apparently, because I, I did a deep dive. You know, after I watch a movie, I'm always lying in bed at night, going, uh, doing a deep dive on all the making of it, and I was astonished because that is a, it's it's a fan. Just go on Spotify now and just type in Air Force One Jerry Goldsmith and enjoy the the majesty of that score. Anyway, all right, Air that, Force that's One my pick, Air one Force Harrison. One, Helen. I'm gonna go Witness. Oh, Witness of Fitness. Okay. Witness Can we get a Witness? Yeah, um, it, it's a really good performance. It's a really good film. And um, apparently when he was staying in Amish country and he was staying somewhere out in the middle of, you know, countryside, um, he, he stayed at somebody's house and they came back to find like their doors all leveled off and you know, like a new new cupboards hung in the kitchen and stuff like this because he'd just done some woodwork in his <laughs> off time, which just makes me like the film even more. I but it's a great it. performance. That's a great story. It's the cup of a carpenter. It is. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Jimbo? Uh, I can't use Patriot Games or Clear and Present Danger because no. they're technically franchised. How dare you, sir? Indeed. I'm going <laughs> to I'm gonna cheat, though, and I'm going to say that I'm discounting U.S. Marshals and picking The Fugitive because he's not in the oh, sequel. Don't therefore, pick The Fugitive. Therefore, I'm counting it as a non-franchise movie. No, uh, don't pick Dr. The Fugitive. Dr. Richard Kimball, 100%. When I came home, there was a yeah, man out of my house. Mechanical arm. He had a mechanical <laughs> arm. <laughs> you find that man. You find that man. Also, like, because there used to be a website, and it was one of my favorite websites, and it was the Harrison Ford Finger Gallery. And it no yeah. longer exists. It was taken down, but it genuinely was. It was a still. It's a misleading title. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't porn, I swear to God. It genuinely was just stills of every time he has pointed at someone in a film. It was. It's a finger of doom. That's it what they call, the it. They call it. The finger Harrison of Ford's doom. finger of doom. It was magnificent. And I think he gives the best finger of doom in Fugitive. Yeah. He does a great one in the future, but he also does a Air great one, one genuinely yeah. in Get off Clear, my and Pre- Clear and Present Danger mm. to um, 
the guy from the thing who plays the president and he goes, how dare you, sir? He's jabbing his finger at the president yeah. of the United States. That's good. And also he has a face-off over uh, a keyboard with with Kittredge. Uh, I, know his name, I know Henry Sheridan, he's not playing Kittredge in that movie, but he but pretty much is. is. <laughs> <laughs> in that film. All right, you motherfucker. You have stolen, <laughs> you've all stolen some great choices from me. So now I am going to have to go to the IMDb. Oh, you're a disgrace. And he's going for Cowboys and Aliens. You're all a disgrace. <laughs> Uh, is do... Mosquito Coast a franchise now that there's a TV spin? Well, no, that's the question, no, isn't it? The Devil's Own. The Devil's Own. The Devil's Own. Okay, I'm going, oh Jesus, this is tough. What American Graffiti. Yeah. A. American Graffiti. He's very, good in, he's very good in American Graffiti. He's... Apocalypse Now. <laughs> <laughs> he's great in Working Girl. He is great in Working yeah. Girl. I, I know that the director is not exactly flavor of the month these days but uh, I do like Frantic but I can't I can't choose he's only in the conversation for five seconds Christ this is difficult (laughs) god damn you James for choosing The Fugitive Uh, alright Frisco Kid no Uh, Blade Runner I do uh, Blade Runner seems no that's a franchise now it It is Uh, Frantic Working Girl Presumed Innocent I do like him in Presumed Innocent uh, he's got a terrible, terrible haircut, but uh, but everything else works. Uh, what yeah, lies beneath? That's pretty good. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm going to say. Oh, reluct- Oh, you. Oh, you know what? You know what? Forty two. Forty two. There you go. No, presumed innocent. Okay, right. presumed innocent. I'm a sucker for courtroom dramas and yeah. stuff like that. Yeah, and terrible haircuts in movies. So. <laughs> Presumed innocent. Uh, Foul Shopaholic's choice was The Fugitive, by the way. So, oh, good choice, Foul. You like thirty years old this year. Happy birthday to The Fugitive. <laughs> um, may your uh, rivers forever be green. Uh, right. If you want to have your question read out in the Empire Podcast, because they dyed the river green, the Chicago River, right, which Chicago. is called you know river names. I think it's literally called the Chicago River. It can't be just called the Chicago River. I okay. mean, that's probably not. remarkable lack of imagination. <laughs> Yeah, it goes into the lake, though. That goes right along the The Chicago it. Lake? It's called something. I know it's called something. Anyway, Keith. Chicago um, River. River in Illinois. The Chicago River. No way. It's wow. a system of rivers what? and canals. Yep. Glad I could help. Bloody hell. We were uh, speaking of Chris Nolan and The Dark Knight just a minute ago. So it yeah, ties it all, together. It all ties together. really ties the room together. Uh, all right. If you want to have your question read out in the Emperor Podcast, get in touch with me on Twitter. I'm at Chris Hewitt. Uh, you can reply to any of my panicked shout outs or you can slide into my DMs or you can reply to any of my tweets once you've stopped laughing, of course. All right. Let's get into the movie news. Eddie, you're hanging around for this bit, aren't you? You're I'd love gonna, to, yeah, yeah, please. Excellent. Yeah. Okay, we'd love to have you chip in on this one. Uh, I think there's only really one place to start, and we've got some major casting news uh, going on, which is that James Gunn has now officially found his Clark Kent slash Kal-El slash Superman and his Lois Lane slash Lois Lane slash Lois Lane, and they are... <laughs> I, don't, I don't know how to pronounce this guy's name. Corrin Sweat, isn't it? Corrin Sweat? I'm not sure. I'm going to go with David Sweat. He's about to become one of the most famous people on the planet. So I think this time next year, we will know how to pronounce his name. Uh, and Rachel Brosnahan, who is mm-hmm. from the marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Yeah. Uh, now, this is after a very hotly contested uh, casting competition, I guess. Uh, there were a lot of people in the running. Emma Mackey, Phoebe Dinafore. Nicholas Holt, who's been long been the guy I was like low key, not even low key. I was like very, very actively campaigning for this on Twitter. I mean, yeah, you literally tweeted Holt, 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 Holt. Holt, Holt. Well, my way. dream pairing was Nicholas Holt as Clark Kent, 
slash Superman because I've I've just always seen Clark Kent in particular in Nick Holt and uh, Charlotte Ritchie from Ghosts, BBC's Ghosts from the you know the horrible histories yonder oh, right. team okay. as Lois Lane because okay. she is like the spitting image of a young Margot Kidder. She is. Mm-hmm. And yeah. she's got that feistiness as well and amazing comedic timing. But she was never in the running. Uh, and, but Holt was. Holt was in the running. Apparently he was uh, in contention for Lex Luthor in that movie and then decided at the last minute to throw his hat into the super ring or his super hat into the super ring. Uh, and I was really rooting for him but it hasn't worked out. But apparently this guy, uh, David Cornsweat, is He's incredible really and He's a, really a real good. deal. I mean, look, I saw him... What's he been in? I saw him for the first time in Ryan Murphy's The Politician on Netflix, mm-hmm. and he's in it for... He's he's basically a ghost, right, that the main character talks to. He, he His character has died at the beginning of the show, and that's one of the things that sets the plot in motion. Um, and he appears as a ghost to the politician uh, of the title. And he's immediately... Uh, you're you're immediately like, that guy looks like Superman. What the hell? <laughs> this, the, the, that guy is absurdly handsome. Was he wearing the costume? Handsome. Yeah. Oh my <laughs> and a cape and everything. Was he flying? Um, but he was like he was immediately like just like wow. He didn't have it wasn't a huge role. He didn't he wasn't massively, you know, stretched, I think, as an actor. And then he appears a much longer, you know, a bigger part in Hollywood, the also the Ryan Murphy show that went sort of through the um the golden age of Hollywood and had lots of um it was kind of like Babylon but less shit. Anyway, hmm. um and uh and he's really good in that. He's a leading role in that and he gets a lot more chance to kind of show off what he can do. And I think he did really well and he's in Pearl which um, many people will have seen earlier this year he's um, he's quite frankly a big old pervert in that um, and uh, again very good performance but at the same time quite charming and quite oh. you know winning and that that guy no but I yeah because he's in We Own The City which is David Simon's We Own The City ah, I and I've just looked yet. up who he plays in that and he plays uh, one of the cops who kind of begins to realize that this this, this super unit that's led by John Bernthal mm-hmm. is actually corrupt as hell and you know they kind of get a they get a, a lucky break and right. then they, they they start investigating this 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 uh, this corrupt unit uh, and he's really good in it he's really, he's really yeah. good I in think it. he's so yeah. I think he's got the chops and he genuinely like he looks like superman so you know yeah also he hurt. can't see through lead in we own this <laughs> as well so it's all there. And and look, as for Rachel Brosnahan, The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, I don't know if everybody has watched it. You should. It's really fun. And she wears the greatest dresses mm-hmm. on average in, in TV history. Um, uh, but she is 90% the way to Lois Lane just mm. in that role. I mean, that is, if if Lois Lane had gone to, to stand-up comedy instead of journalism, she would be the marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Like it's a really similar kind of energy and just like fire and pace. Um, and I'm super excited to see what she does with it. Eddie, what you got to take in this? I, I, I'm. I think. Listen, James Gunn's casting generally in all his movies is is exquisite. You know, so I, I'm, I'm. He knows what he's doing, quite frankly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so I'm thrilled and I'm very excited to see his his movie. His version of it. Yeah, I'm very excited about this as well. I, I, I've been following the the casting rumors about this and the you know the fact that they got people in to do chemistry reads with, you know, they they paired up different Clark Kents with different Lois Lanes and then they obviously got people to do costume tests and all that sort of stuff. And I thought it was very interesting. And uh, Rachel Brosnahan's name has been in the in the ring, has been in contention pretty much throughout this process. Mm. But I remember there was a report a couple of months ago where they where they went, studio bosses are 
you know, because he wants slightly younger people. She's 32. And, but <laughs> in, in Hollywood terms, that's 57. <laughs> so, you know, God. you know, I, I was hoping that she wouldn't get discounted because mm -hmm. of her age, especially since she's like ridiculously young. Uh, so I'm very, very glad. I've always thought though that Lois Lane should be older than Clark Kent anyway. Yeah. You well, know, well he, comes in have, as a, yeah. he comes in as a young reporter when she's already established. Precisely, yeah. So... Sort of makes sense. This casting broke the same night as the premiere for The Witcher season three, and I felt a bit for Henry Cavill. Yeah. 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 I think he'll be okay. If you okay, put though. them side by side, there's a lot of similarities between Henry Cavill and what's his name? Mr. David Corrinsway. It might be Corrinsway. We don't, we don't know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But, but there's, you know, they're both very chiseled. Chiseled. Very, very does he have an eight pack though? Henry Cavill has an eight pack. Yeah, Henry Cavill. I, I don't really even know how does, you do that. I'd so. have to go back and watch the rewatch yeah. the politician, <laughs> yeah. but I, I'm pretty sure yes is the answer. <laughs> um, and he is also apparently six four, so okay. he's, yeah. he's tall. He's she's, thirty. She's five three, so you know it's yeah. um, wow. He's yeah. thirty, so he is younger. He is younger, but we're not talking like stupidly young. But mm -hmm. uh, yeah, it's interesting. It's, it's it's a shame also for uh, you know Nicholas Holt, who's who came close to being Batman as well, the yeah. R Pats Batman. And are you a, saying a bit, that he what is going to be Lex Luthor? Well, he was. They're they're apparently because the they're, 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 yeah. the rumor is that they're looking at a Lex Luthor, obviously, and then you know the rumor is now they're looking at a Skarsgård. Uh, so they'll be <laughs> they'll just randomly pick a Skarsgård and and <laughs> and then that that person will be Lex Luthor. Um, but I think apparently, Holt, would be great as Lex Holt Luthor. was yeah. was the number one choice for Lex Luthor. Maybe he will again be that. But I guess he he went. You know what? I'm taking my shot. Maybe he listened to the podcast and thought, you know what? He's convinced me. I can be Clark Kent. I <laughs> he, can be Superman. I think. Look, I think he would be a great Superman. I really do. I, I think. I, I think he has. You're right. Such good Clark Kent energy, and I think he could, you know, get that like Superman goodness. Do you want to think well. it is? Do you want to think it is? Not not American. Mm -hmm. To be honest, that wouldn't be unreasonable. You know, we don't cast Americans as Bond. Maybe we shouldn't cast non-Americans as And we as never will. <laughs> no, but genuinely, like, I feel like it is meant to be a part of the character. How that dare you, sir? All-American, apple-pie-eating Kansas boy. Like, yeah. it's it's not crazy to want an American in that role, I don't think. Um, and, you know. Hey, Cavill, hey. Cavill did a good job. I don't think I don't think it lacked for his lack of Americanism. I like I said, I've only ever had one issue with his Superman, and that was a slight tendency to look smug. That's the <laughs> only issue Superman. I've ever had with him. <laughs> Not being funny, if you were Superman, you'd probably feel a bit smug too. The point is you shouldn't show that you feel smug. <laughs> keep it on the inside. Yes. Keep, keep it in your fortress of solitude. Yeah. Christopher Reeve never let on he was smug, did he? He just like Definitely you know, on the inside, embodied though. Superman. Yeah. Just saying. Uh, by the way, of course, uh, the very first actor technically to play Bond was Barry Nelson, who was American. I technically, but you know, in the in the but not in the official not in the official canon Eon yeah stuff yeah. We don't count the original Casino Royale either. Come on. Anyway, yes. So there we go. Exciting news: Superman Legacy coming twenty twenty five. Writer strike, actor strike, mm -hmm. <laughs> notwithstanding, it may or may not. Uh, there won't be a director strike though because the DGA have he has agreed. written the script. Grun so, has, yeah, so he has. the writer's yeah. strike will not affect it. That's true, but then I guess he doesn't, he's not one of those people who really endlessly revises on, on set. Yeah, I mean, yeah. every filmmaker does, you know. So, so, <laughs> yeah. I mean, everyone, you know, it's, it's just... Every process is different. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, but uh, exciting, exciting stuff. But the DGA have, have agreed, they have voted, 
or some of them voted, but there was a, a small turnout. But they have voted, and they are not striking it. They've taken they've taken a deal with the studios. Um, what what does that leave? The writers and the, the Screen Actors Guild. Where do you where do you think the uh, we think is going to happen there? Because we're coming up to the point now where it yeah. looks like the actors may strike as well. I, th- I think they probably will. The way things are going, there was a letter this week signed by sort of three hundred actors, among them many A listers, big letter, <laughs> including Meryl Streep and um, Jennifer Lawrence, uh, basically saying, "Don't basically don't make a bad deal. We are absolutely ready to go on strike. We need to protect the profession." So. Um, it's not just the profession; it's the whole it's, future of the industry. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, yeah. It's like there needs to be a significant course correction in the industry, otherwise, there just won't be an industry. Yeah. Do you, you feel? Know. Do you feel, Eddie, like there's an existential threat going on? I mean, from an editor's point of view, are are you guys scared of AI programs? Might they, you know, could a studio one day go, you know what? It's nice that you're in there and yeah. the, slaving away in the editing booth, yeah, you know, twenty one hours a day, seven <laughs> days a week. But this AI thing can do almost as good a job, yeah, yeah. and it can do twenty-four hours. Those three hours you sleep, Eddie I know, Hamilton. I know, I know. I, 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 I've no idea what's going to happen. I think that there's no doubt that it's the the rate of progress is alarmingly fast mm. with AI, and every two months there's an upgrade to Chat GPT or whatever, and you know. Uh, you can like write scripts in four seconds and all this craziness, but I I think that um, I think it's more about making sure that there are people to make the films and mm. you know it's just it's just clearly they 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 rush to flood their own streaming services with their own content at almost any cost has backfired kind of quite dramatically in a way because no one made any money and now everyone is cost cutting and it's it's all just this self made d- disaster really that that's that's mm. happened and you know we're going to end up with the future of tv being tv <laughs> with commercial breaks and you know choosing what to you know and all the subscribers will eventually amalgamate down to like four that you will be able to afford and it'll just be like having four TV channels again. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like mm-hmm. it'll, we'll just be back where we started and they'll work out some economic no- model that works and they'll have to report streaming numbers for the com- for the people who are buying commercials. So they'll have to tell people how well the shows are doing. So, you know, we'll just end up back where we started, but it is, I think the, I don't know. A, well, there's that whole, who saw that interview that, that was on deadline a couple of weeks ago. Uh, one of the writers did it where he interviewed an AI and was like, do you have childhood trauma? You know, have you ever kissed somebody? You know, all these questions which are like, no, of course not. So, you know, plus the fact that AI is just a, a large language model of everything that's been written up to this mm. point. It's not like mm. new stuff. It's just basing it on everything that's come before. So everything will just be very vanilla. <laughs> that's, yeah. you know, yeah. anyway, I... Everyone's it, heard it all these arguments. Yeah, yeah, it can't innovate. That's the that's the yeah. issue, isn't it? it can't. Not yet. Exactly. Yeah, maybe so. But I, I, yeah, I agree. I think there's it is it is an existential crisis about the whole thing. And and you know, I don't think the writers are gonna are going to settle easily. No, like I really don't. They they're just gonna they're just gonna stand firm because they know they're fighting for generational change, like significant generational change. And I support them. I mm. really do. Um, yeah, uh-huh. it's the right thing for the industry. It is. It is. Uh, yeah, 
Piss off AI. Uh, <laughs> that's what I say. I've been an enemy of AI now. I'll be first against the wall. Tron Ares, um, which is the Tron sequel that we all definitely remember is a thing that is happening. Yes, it um, is. Yes, has now landed Evan Peters to join Jared Leto. And uh, the director, we had heard rumours that um, Pirates of the Caribbean, Salazar's Revenge director, Joaquin Roening, I think it is. I apologise if I've mispronounced that, um, Have has officially closed a deal to direct it. Now, the only issue is that, as far as we know, um, Jesse Wigato had been writing the script, and there is obviously, I don't know if we've mentioned it, a writer's strike going on, so <laughs> I don't think that's necessarily 100% locked down. It was scheduled to shoot this August, but we shall see. Yeah, I, I, I'll be honest, I know every day is Christmas Eve, but I'd like to just skip the Boxing Day with this one, if that's all right. Not wildly excited about it. I'm not a huge Tron fan, I'll be honest with I'm you. I'm an Evan Peters fan, though. Yeah, I like I think Evan he's Peters. A, he's a very, very likable, very talented actor in everything that he's done. You know, naturally talented as well. Like, he just has, you know, God-given acting talent. And mm. he was in the first Kick-Ass, which I did. Yes. And he was really good in it. And I remember, and then he was in, you know, obviously Days of Future Past. And But I remember thinking, the guy's just, he's just effortlessly great on camera so yeah. you know I'm excited yeah yeah okay but well, I'm excited about all movies well, so there we go I, I tried to be as well Eddie yeah, I tried yeah, to be yeah. as well and you know and listeners every chance this one might turn out well uh, but I'm not wild about the casting so far uh, Evan Peters aside yeah uh, I think I'm not sure is it Jochum Jochum I've interviewed this guy uh, for the Pirates of the Caribbean Sporter mm-hmm. Special but that was six years ago now and I can't remember how to pronounce his name so uh, apologies uh, apologies to the people of Norway um, but yeah, he's a, he's a fine director. He's a safe pair of hands, but it's never been a franchise that's got me here. What about you, Jimbo? No, uh, I, I'm with you. I'm I'm I, I think he's really really good. I didn't. Did you watch Dharma? Yeah. Did you say it? Did you, what did you think of it? Yeah. Dharma and Greg. Yeah. Yes. No, I, I I thought he was phenomenal. In mm. it. Yeah. I, and I really loved what he did in One Division as well. I thought it was great bringing him back in that. I've got a lot of time for him as an actor, so happy to see whatever he does. Yeah. But. But maybe, well, 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 yeah, we'll see, we'll see. But it uh, looks like this one is absolutely now, the light bikes are are being prepped. Uh, no word on Jeff Bridges, no, in this one. I remember the last one was, was it Olivia Wilde became sentient or something? Like she was like a computer program. Yes. It's all very prescient. And then she entered the real world. And yes, then she was... Yeah. Such a long time ago, wasn't it? 2012. Yeah. 2012. Did you see that? There was a, one of those, I think it was a Hollywood Reporter one, one of those actors roundtable things. And they were talking about gaming, like video gaming. Yes. And Jeff Bridges was there. And he's like, someone's saying, yeah, I've been really playing these games a lot. And they said, Jeff Bridges, have you ever been sucked into a video game, Jeff? And he was like, yeah. And then what was it? And he was like, well, Tron. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, that is perhaps yeah, the greatest answer ever. What's hilarious given. is none of them really realized no, it. No, it, was, they didn't. it was Pedro Pascal talking about the last That was it. Right, yes, yeah. it was. It was and, Pedro Pascal. And none of them sort of really got the joke, know, at, at least was, in the it moment. It was very, very funny. He was so dry in the moment. As yeah, well. well, he is, isn't he? Yeah. His sense of humor is incredibly dry. Yeah. I, interestingly, Jeff Bridges, he was in the, the second Kingsman, right? And he only spent a week on set. But I, I remember watching him act and thinking he might be one of the finest actors I've ever seen like performing live on, on camera he was totally in the character it was astonishing yeah. watching him he, it was you know also whenever you're kind of on set watching an actor like that you, you, there's there's a kind of you can't help but get like the whole you know filmography just like stacking up in your brain mm-hmm. as you watch him do it but he was so he was Astonishingly good on camera in that film. Anyway, I it was it was a real 
privilege to watch him work live, just mm. even just for a week that he was on set, but still that was wow. a highlight yeah. for me. Speaking of Kingsman, uh, one of the stars of Kingsman the Golden Circle, Elton John, <laughs> was Segway. headlining at Glastonbury just last week. An amazing set, an amazing, amazing set. I mean, just banger after banger after banger yes, after yes, banger. Yes, it was absolutely yes. incredible. Which reminds me, Helen, I really must grill you about your Glastonbury experience. Uh, but movie news <laughs> doesn't stop for anybody. Uh, so have you seen that Christopher Storer the uh, creator of The Bear, which is now the second season is on uh, Hulu in the States right now and it's going great guns. I'm having to, I'm having to like almost weave between bear spoilers every time <laughs> I fire up <laughs> uh, Twitter now, but I, I don't want to mute any keywords uh, behind hands, corner, that sort of thing. Um, I love that show so much. I can't wait for season two. He has been tapped to write an adaptation uh, and direct, I believe, actually, uh, of The Winter of Frankie Machine, which is a great Don Winslow novel yeah. about an, an aging hitman who uh, finds there's a contract out in his head and he has to turn the tables on his uh, would-be killers. Uh, it's a really, really great novel. It is the novel that Scorsese and De Niro were going to make until there was a very, very late change of direction and idea and they made The Irishman instead. And, uh, you know, I admire and appreciate The Irishman but I still, there's part of me wishes they'd made this movie instead. Uh, so I'm delighted that it's finally getting made because it's a really, really great book. Yeah. Um, so check it out. Chris Restore, who is, I just think, brilliant. And apparently the script is um, written already. So it was written before the writer's strike. So yeah, exciting stuff. Very, very exciting indeed. Uh, anything else? Anything else before we move into the reviews? Did we section? cover the Paddington in Peru casting no, last week? No, we didn't. Because it broke after... Yeah. Antonio Banderas and Olivia Coleman Ooh. versus Paddington. That's my understanding. But it's not just that. It's not just that. They've lost Mrs. Brown. What? They've lost Mrs. Brown. Sally Hawkins has left the Paddington franchise. Paddington in Peru, Paddington 3, which is about to start filming very, very soon, has lost Sally Hawkins. But it's okay because Emily Mortimer is replacing her. Mm. And, uh, and Rachel Mrs. Sigler. Brown's boys are still there as well. Mrs. So. Brown's, oh dear. Oh no. Oh no, please no. <laughs> please no. Hard stares all around. Uh, and Rachel <laughs> Segler, a friend of the podcast, of course. Uh, Rachel Segler is also joining the cast. So that's a, that's pretty cool, that's a hell yeah. of a cast. So, so I, I, what I love is the bit that Olivia Coleman's going to be playing a blithe and sunny guitar-playing nun <laughs> with Antonio Banderas as a riverboat captain, presumably related to his character in, in yes, uh, Indiana Jones. Destiny. So, um, mm. Yeah, all right. And Rachel Zegler then is his daughter. But um, the, the great casting. Of course it is. It's, yeah. it's good news. Good news. Yeah, uh, very, very good indeed. Uh, Eddie, you, you're a Paddington fan? A huge Paddington fan. And my friend Una is editing it, so I'm very excited about that as well. Um, I'm, she's, she's the most wonderful editor and she's going to do a cracking job. We should finish off the uh, the movie news section now with some very, very sad news. It was confirmed this week. Uh, I think something that we'd all feared, suspected. Uh, Julian Sands went missing in January. The great British actor Julian Sands went missing in January whilst hiking in uh, in the, uh, was it Mount Baldy? In Mount Baldy in the San Gabriel Mountains in California. Uh, experienced hiker, but uh, clearly something went, went terribly wrong and he went missing in January and they couldn't find him and because of the horrible conditions and the time of year 
People long suspected that he had, in fact, died. And this week they finally did find his remains. Um, 65 years old. Mm. 65. Uh, but great actor. But yeah, I think his his big breakthrough was, I guess, A Room with a View with uh, Helena Bonham Carter. But he was in The Killing Fields. He was in um, Oxford Blues, Warlock. Arachnophobia, I think a, mm-hmm. a, a favourite of several people in this room. Mm-hmm. Um, Boxing Helena, notoriously leaving Las Vegas more happily. Um, yeah, um, just a just a very, very good British actor. He was. He was in good. My Beloved Banshee as well. He was in Your Beloved Banshee. Yeah, he True. had a very good um, TV career as well. He turned up in quite a lot of things. Dexter as well, another yep. of your favourites. Yeah. Um, and Stargate. So, you know. Um, but yeah, no, uh, really, really sad news. 65 is no no age at all these days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Horrible, horrible, horrible all around, uh, sadly. Eddie, uh, did you know him? Did you have you? Eddie? No, no, never. But all I've heard from people who have worked with him is that he was just incredibly nice and full of great anecdotes about his career and, you know, always had time for everyone on set. Yeah, it's incredibly sad. Yeah. It is very, very sad indeed. Uh, Julian Sands, who uh, whose death was confirmed this week at the age of 65. All right, let's uh, have our guests, shall we, this week. I mean, Eddie is obviously a guest, but also, weirdly, fourth chair slash colleague of such lethal cunning. And hey, colleague of such lethal cunning is a catchphrase I amended from a line of dialogue in Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. And as luck would have it, this week sees Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny hit cinemas. It's out right now if you want to go and see it. Listen to the Endless Podcast first and then go and see it, of course, if you will. And that movie is produced like all the other ones have, have pretty much, not all. Uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark wasn't produced by Kathleen Kennedy. And that's when she was beginning to first work with Steven Spielberg uh, but all five Indiana Jones films have had Frank Marshall and Kathleen Kennedy work on them uh, they've all been produced by Frank Marshall Kathleen Kennedy of course now is the grand poobah at Lucasfilm and has you know both have been Spielberg's right hand people for for many 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 years uh, they have all they've worked on all five Indiana Jones films and uh, this week they came to London and we had a chat about the Dial of Destiny. And we had a chat about all the other Indiana Jones films that they worked on as well. Of course, including Raiders of the Lost Ark, the movie in which they met, because, hey, they are also married. One of the great Hollywood power couples. And yes, I said all five Indiana Jones films, <laughs> because uh, for this one, I felt it would be best to drop the long-running gag on this podcast <laughs> that uh, Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull is some sort of hmm. fan fiction film that uh, doesn't actually exist. It does exist. And we talked about it briefly. We talked about the other ones more, but hey-ho, here we go. I had a great time talking to Frank and Kathy. Do please enjoy. We are delighted to be joined on the Upper Podcast by the producers of Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny and a few other Indiana Jones movies as well. Kathleen Kennedy, Frank Marshall. How are you both? We're good. We're good, Chris. We're good. Happy good, good, to be good. in the UK. I was going to say, because yeah. you skipped the UK to for filming of uh, The Kingdom of Crystal Skull, which yeah. which was very... You're, well, you're, we all had kids. Yeah. And so we thought, well, maybe we need to be home. Yeah. Can't bring everybody over here. Absolutely. Elstree was barren. It was. <laughs> yes. Except for the snakes left over. Yeah. Yeah. Except for the snakes left over. Absolutely. Should we address that rumor right from the right, right from the it's off? It's not a rumor. Not a rumor. <laughs> but how many snakes are there now in the in the? Oh, it's area hard to know. Elstree? They could be breeding. It's in a couple of thousand, <laughs> I think. 
Thank goodness for British winters, right? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Otherwise, yeah. we'd be inundated with snakes. Uh, but it is good. It is good to be to have you guys back uh, in the UK and to have Indiana Jones back. Now, you have said farewell to Indiana Jones on a couple of occasions. I remember reading in Empire whenever Last Crusade came out in '89. Uh, it finished with a. It finished with Harrison saying, "Someone said to Harrison, you know, is this done? Are you done?" And he went, "Read my lips, <laughs> bye bye, Indy." And that was that. Right? Well, I hung rode up the off hat. into the sunset. Yeah, rode off a, a shot directed by you, sir. Yes, yes. <laughs> Which is pretty amazing. Yeah. Thanks. Well, it was designed by Stephen, uh-huh. and it was executed by me. <laughs> well, let's give yourself a little bit more credit than that one, Frank. It is one of the iconic shots. <laughs> Well, of Indiana thanks. Jones, yeah. Thanks. It's all due to the sky. It was the right <laughs> sky. There's no visual effects there, and the the sun. I remember they we, the the clouds were there, and the sun was going down. And then just as we went to roll, the sun popped below, right under the horizon, and it was perfect. Oh my God, that's amazing! And was it Harrison and Sean no. and everybody on the horses? No, no? they were okay. all doubles. Oh, okay. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Well, the other amazing thing is in those days, we didn't have monitors or playback or anything. So right. you just had to trust your camera operator. Is it in focus? Yes. Yeah. Are you sure Did it's you in focus? It? <laughs> yeah. Do you want to work, work on the next movie? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> because I, somehow I can't imagine Harrison and Sean and, and Denim and you know everyone being on the horses yeah, riding out in there. In the middle just, of Texas. Yeah, yeah, just Although <laughs> Harrison might have done that. Yeah. Yeah. Have you got it? Yeah, keep riding, Harrison. <laughs> <laughs> you said it was the last. <laughs> Bye. Yeah, you said, Adios. <laughs> Four hours later. It's good. It's good. It's good. Uh, but obviously, he said at that point, bye bye, India. And that was that. That was mm-hmm. that for, what, 19 years? Uh, and then with Crystal Skull, did you think that there was an element of finality to that? Or did you go into that thinking, okay, if this, if this works? I, you know, I think we did because. Yeah. You know, we're in a culture now where everybody talks about how there's not an end to anything, yeah. it feels like. But um, then, yeah, because these were very standalone stories, I think that felt like a conclusion. But as we got further along, it's really Harrison that kept saying, I don't know, I just, I just don't feel that this is quite over. And it was up to him, because we can't make the movie without Indiana Jones. So. Mm. Was really Harrison and Stephen that kept coming back to this and saying, "Should we do another? Should we do another?" And sure enough, we did. And uh, obviously, recasting Harrison Ford as as you know, no. you've you've been down that road. No, that's 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 tough. not going to happen. That's not going to happen in this uh, whatsoever. One hundred percent. No. no. Uh, and so when he is really the, the the kind of the galvanizing force really behind this film, Stephen steps away for the reasons that Stephen had. George isn't involved uh, as well. You guys, and this is yeah, you know, this is a this is a compliment, guys. You guys have very much assumed the roles of the Grail Knight from the Last Crusade. <laughs> yes, very, very yeah. much so. Yeah. But with a you have lot chosen well, <laughs> you yes, have chosen yes. well. But we had a lot of support. I mean, yeah. knowing that both Stephen and George were there. I mean, especially for Jim. Yeah, you know, to be able to reach out and any question he had, any question we had, any debate, reading of the script, reacting to the, all of that along the way was huge. Stephen steps aside on this, and that would have been, I think in days gone by, you probably wouldn't have envisaged an Indiana Jones film without Stephen That's at the helm. True. So was there a period we thought, oh, 
not so sure about this or were you thinking okay we're going to push on and find and find well, the right filmmaker you know the development process is always uh, an unknown you you you're waiting to see if things are going to fall into place and and we were struggling with a story these are not easy you know mm-hmm. figuring out what the macguffin is and and is there a real reason to do another and why are you doing another and and answering all those questions for ourselves was important. And then once Stephen did step aside, and we really were quite fortunate because Harrison and Jim had worked together briefly on Call of the Wild mm-hmm. when Jim stepped in to do some reshoots on that. And I had gotten to know Jim over the years and have always admired the movies he's been making, as did Stephen and Frank. And when he expressed interest, in actually stepping in because he and Harrison had such a good working relationship. That changed everything. And he brought in the Butterworths, who are such wonderful writers, and the story just started to click. And he had very clear ideas um, after spending a huge amount of time talking to Harrison about what the direction might be, what the theme of time might really speak to. And I think that's that's why it started to fall into place and it gained momentum because this process is, you're always looking for that too, is do you feel real momentum mm-hmm. and can you sustain that? And this combination of people definitely did that. Frank, did you ever think about throwing your hat in the ring? I mean, you've, you've directed. No. No. <laughs> I'd be very interested. He's to see making what too many documentaries. I know. <laughs> I love what I'm doing. I'm, it's, uh, I know how hard it is. And uh, no, I, I think that what we love doing is we love working with these directors and helping them get the vision that they have up on the screen. And in this case, having started on Raiders, having met each other on Raiders, we got married, have made all these movies in over 40 years. We really felt that this was the time for us both to be together to shepherd this one to the finish line. So it was really, it never occurred to me. Uh, and also it was kind of a natural thing because Stephen was there and then almost instantly Jim was there. Mm-hmm. It was very, very quick yeah. in that regard. I always like to ask about day one because I always think that's a very instructive day, very important day. Um, a lot of people tell me they don't sleep before day one, uh, before the first day of filming. And this this first day of filming must have been particularly interesting for you guys. Stephen isn't there. George isn't there. So what was that like? It actually felt far more comfortable and familiar and and like we were ready than I might have imagined. And I think in large part, again, because of Harrison. You know, he was really um, functioning in a way that was driving the train. And that is what made it feel immediately like Indiana Jones. Yeah. We were, we were home. It's That's what family, it felt like. And we had a lot of people that have worked on the other movies. So it was kind of getting the band back together again in a funny way. So it felt comfortable. It wasn't, and I think we both slept very well the night before. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you did, but the gym. That's Jim that's, might that's, have had a, a different set, yes. He acted like he did. <laughs> <laughs> he was totally fine. Do you remember what day one was? Was it a, a nice ease you in day or was it a big... A big set piece. It was an ease in day because we were, the challenge was COVID. Of we course. were right in the middle of COVID. And 
um, with anything we were doing shooting during COVID, but this in particular, we were really trying to manage what we were shooting when because we kept thinking it was going to end. Yeah. Oh, it'll just be a few weeks. <laughs> and then, we, you know, this that was the strangest thing about it. I'm not quite sure when everybody began to realize, oh, wait a minute, this is going to go on for a while. Because that that's why we were holding off on going on location. We went on location much later, did a lot of our stage work. Um, sometimes it's great to start on location because there's a real energy mm-hmm. about that. But we were kind of mixing it up. And then in rehearsal, Harrison threw his arm out and suddenly we were in hiatus and all looking at one another. So we had... We had luckily spent time working on the train sequence in the okay. beginning. Okay. That was the primary thing that we were focusing on. It's a lot of pieces of shooting that. And when he threw his arm out, we he, of course, was like, Oh, I'm fine. I you know, I can shoot I can keep shooting. <laughs> and we're all horrified. And he's got his sling on and he's still showing up. He's still doing shots. And so between COVID and his arm and his sling, it was a little slow going in the beginning. But um, as I've often found out, these hiatuses can often help. (laughs) (laughs) I think for Indy, it did. It gave all those moments that you're talking about where everybody was probably really nervous a chance to just calm down. And then by the time he came back, we knew that he was going to be in every single day of shooting. We said that to Harrison. You, you, when you come back, get ready because <laughs> you're in every day. And he was amazing. But he amazing. remember that from Temple of Doom. It was the same thing. When he came back, he was in every shot from his back problem. Yeah. Because he was in a, he was, it was, it was very bad, his back yeah. problem. Yeah. On, yeah. On, a slip on Temple of Doom. Yeah. There is this wonderful thread of, you know, obviously these things are prepared within an inch of their lives, but there's a there's a wonderful thread of happy accidents, I think, that runs through the the indie movies. I mean, famously the the swordsman sequence in, mm-hmm. in Raiders mm-hmm. would not have happened if if Harrison hadn't been sick. Uh, so this this is very much a franchise like its hero, who has this sort of improvisational quality. Right. That's something that you can you can roll with the punches yourselves as as filmmakers. I think what's really great too is you feel that in his character. I think that's what makes him very relatable in these movies is he's fallible. You know, things happen. You know, he's he's not somebody where it's perfect and planned out and it, everything happens and it has consequences. And that's I think what people really love about his character. He's like them. Yeah, and I think that's that is part of the magic is the sort of ad libbing that we have to do along the way that we you know they say turn turning lemons into lemonade that horrible <laughs> 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 saying but yeah. it 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 is that's what our job is when there's a a problem we solve it and sometimes it's solved creatively and and you know in that case with the swordsman we don't know who actually had the final idea. Both of them claim yes, that they Stephen had the idea. Harrison both think it was their idea. Um, <laughs> so that's, there we go. There was a set of circumstances. Our producers will support either one. Yes, yes. <laughs> Precisely. Uh, but it, you know, it, it created the greatest moment in that movie, and it was not on the page. And I, I often wonder as well, because the, as you say, the world has changed so much. 
and now you can't make this movie without people you know the, the they're they're focusing their their attention on it the world's attention is focused on this movie people are endlessly speculating online on the internet people trying to get hold of the scripts mm-hmm. raiders in particular you're flying under the radar yeah to a to a large extent yeah I'm no guessing. one was really paying any attention to what we were doing the title you know oh, the, yeah, the that's right paramount couldn't even come up with a trailer because oh, what I does remember, this yeah, mean, we, Raiders of the Lost? What's that mean? That's We tested the trailer. Remember when we tested yeah. the trailer? <laughs> and it was a disaster. Yeah. <laughs> An absolute disaster. That Vilmos Zygmunt had yeah. shot yeah. with the blowing sand over yeah. the ark and everything. And we thought, oh, this is really cool. This is, you know, tease it. And it, well, no, it, it was a complete disaster. <laughs> <laughs> We'll talk about snatching triumph from the jaws of, yeah. of debate, yeah. right? Yeah. But yeah. that's what was so great is that we were all trying to figure it out. Yeah. You know, now there's so much built-in expectation on every single thing you do. Data. That, it's yeah. all based, everything's yeah, based data on data. And algorithms. Not the no. Yeah. You know, you say, but I like that. Well, it didn't test well. Well, still, I still like it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, and applying that to something like this. One of the things I loved about this film was that it's so character-driven mm-hmm. as well. I mean, you have the spectacle, you have the set pieces, you have the action, the adventure, all that stuff. But at its heart is this story about this man who's coming towards the end of his life. Mm-hmm. And, Kathy, you said the word consequences mm-hmm. a few minutes ago. And, you know, Indy in this movie is someone who has made some bad choices. Yeah. And they're catching yeah. up with him now. And he's reflecting on all of that. And I think that that's... You know, uh, there's some surprising emotional moments with Harrison, yeah. and I think that that stems from his own. Yeah. You know, everybody at 80 years old, maybe even before that, is is facing their own mortality. And he, here's a man who's been digging things up and looking at the past his whole life. So, you know, what Harrison was bringing to these moments as he was shooting was he was digging deep in terms of what it meant personally to him. And I think, again, that's why people love this character so much, because they feel like he is a part of that. He, Harrison Ford, is an element of Indiana Jones. It's not just a character on the movie screen. They feel like they know him to some extent. And there's something interesting about that, watching him on this publicity tour, watching Harrison over the last month or six weeks or so. And he's much more vulnerable yeah. than I think we've ever seen him. Yeah. And there's something about him like he's very much tuned in. I think, I don't know whether it's a case of finally he's accepted what he means to people and what this character means to people and this franchise means to people. And he's it's, very it's reflective. I agree. Yeah. yeah mm-hmm. He's very funny, but serious about it. You know, well, he's, he's always looked, been a little irreverent. Yeah. But he's, he's, it's a genuine authenticity that he brings. To the character and to himself, I think now. He's very comfortable now. But I agree with you, Chris. I think there is a vulnerability right now because even though Harrison's doing an amazing amount of work right now in addition to Indy, he's and it's it's been quite spectacular to watch him in shrinking now in nineteen twenty-three and who knows what else he's gonna do. But this character, I think even more than Han Solo to some extent, I think he just feels very close to. Absolutely. And what about you guys? I mean, we talked about what Raiders means to you both, but you've had you've had decent careers. I think it's fair to say that. But what we've is had this? a lot of adventures. A lot of adventures. <laughs> yeah. 
but the time of your life keeping up with the Joneses. Uh, <laughs> and have you, does this mean more to you in a way, this franchise, this character? Yeah, I think so. I yeah, think it, for all those reasons. It's, yeah. it's where it, it all has, started. It, you know, it's a family. Mm. And we, this is our, this is a reunion of the family in a lot of ways. And there will be another reunion. It won't be on the screen, but we're all great friends. We share so many moments over all these years that we can laugh about and have fun about. And we love being together. Mm. So it, it's this whole trip as can was. I think a kind of a surprising emotional moment for all of us, uh, being there in the Palais and all those people and, you know, it kind of finally hit us mm -hmm. what the journey has been and it was great. Because now I imagine, as we said at the beginning, Harrison said bye-bye Indy back in 1989. Yeah. Uh, then you made two more since, but this is the last one. This is one. it. Yeah. This yeah, is it. This is it. So, and I think that's part of it too because He's not at a point in his life and his career, or are we, where you're thinking, oh, you know, let's let's do something, you know, like this again. Let's let's embark on telling a story that's going to cover 45 years. That that's not in the cards. <laughs> so so I think that's also what he realizes is this really is the culmination of a career and a character that he's loved and the audience has loved. And he appreciates that. I mean, I'm sure you've heard him talk about the audience. He is so indebted to the audience that has, you know, been with him on this journey. That means so much. If I were to say Temple of Doom, what memories flood into your head? What's the first Heart thing you think being of? being pulled out. No. <laughs> <laughs> Crocodiles. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> A film that scarred me when I saw this yes, kid. Yes, yes. PG-13. PG-13, yeah. Come on, Andy, as he grabs his hat onto the door as he crosses. That was me when I was yeah. about seven years old. <laughs> we do have this hilarious memory of Stephen sending us off to oh. do the second unit photography of the crocodiles jumping up as mm -hmm. the bridge collapse. Gatorland. We had to go to Gatorland <laughs> in Florida. <laughs> and we had to motivate the crocodiles to yeah. do that spinning thing where they come up out of the water. Right, yeah, where they snap. Steven, yeah. yeah, Stephen would always draw me a little picture of the frame on like a napkin or something, and I would always see, you know, and so the, <laughs> the crocodile, alligator, whatever they are, where it's coming up and snapping at the thuggies <laughs> falling from the bridge, right? right That's yeah, the idea. Yeah. <laughs> so how do we get the animal trainer at Gatorland to do that? Well, well, we first we first went to a <laughs> she's little. She's the producer. I'm saying, here's the shot I yeah, want yeah. as a director. <laughs> I don't have to worry about this. To figure this out. <laughs> so Kathy had to go off. So I went off to this store and I said, you know, we we need to try to coax these alligators into jumping and he's looking at me of course like mm-hmm like because we're in florida this is very matter of fact they yes. deal with alligators all the time we don't so he goes well you could get yourself a couple of dogs and i go what <laughs> <laughs> no and he goes well then chicken would work you could get chicken get some raw and chickens raw chickens wow so that's what we did we hung raw chicken. we hung raw chicken and then one and then we were kind of throwing them in so they would grab them and spin. And then <laughs> alligators are 
or crocodile. They're they, different, right? Yes, yeah, they're yeah, different. Okay. We had alligators, yeah. I think. Gator yes, we had alligators. But they're not real smart either. And one of the raw chickens landed on the... On his head. On his yeah. head. And he was looking around and it was up here. And... <laughs> And also ruined the shot because it was a raw chicken on and then his we head. Forever trying so to get the chicken off his off head. Of his head. Oh, God. oh Hit sticks. It's not. It's not good. But we got the shot. We got the shot. That, There's two or three it's cuts in the movie. of it in the What's movie. What's in the movie is what we shot. Well, thank goodness you went to Florida because if you'd had gators in at Elstree, yeah, no, that would. God knows how many would be running around now. <laughs> <laughs> we, we're kind of gators famous in the for sewers that. in we, London. We have snakes <laughs> at Elstree. We also have spiders at Warner Brothers from arachnophobia. Oh, yeah, that's oh right. my God. We leave a lot of things behind <laughs> on our movies. You're helping the environment, Frank, yes, and I, exactly. I respect that and admire that. Uh, I have to say, uh, Kathy, I've got to ask about the opening sequence of, of Temple of Doom because you're you're in it. Well, I know this seems to be spreading. Um, well, I did put on a dance costume right. and the wig. And I, what I did is I played a joke on Steven okay. and the choreographer because one of the dancers didn't show up. I fit in the costume. So I faked my way through the <laughs> rehearsal. <laughs> and Danny Daniels was the choreographer, very famous Broadway yeah. choreographer and a taskmaster. And suddenly he was going, stop, stop, stop. Who is that? And what are you doing? And he started yelling at Kathy. And, <laughs> and Steven's going, following like, him. Going, oh, oh, yeah, who's this girl? And then suddenly he burst in hysterics yeah. when he saw it was Kathy. Yeah. Okay, but it okay. is on film, but I'm not in the movie. You're not in the movie. No, okay, I'm okay. Not. That's an rehearsal. important distinction yes. to make. Yes. Okay, yes. it's good. This is why if podcast If I was in the movie, exists. you would really know it. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Frank's and Raiders. I mean, yeah, you might as well, you know. He has a yeah. lot of cameos. Yeah, you know, his cameos out. go back to Last Picture Show. Of course. Yeah, yeah. Targets. Absolutely. Targets. 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 Yeah, I have right. a line That's in right. Targets. A couple of lines in really? Targets. Yeah. Do you remember what you say in Targets? Um, down there on the right. <laughs> <laughs> and it's a scene with Peter. He drives into the drive-in. Oh I'm the God. ticket taker. And he says, uh, where's Mr. Karloff? Or Orloff. Orloff. Where's Mr. Orloff? I see he's down there on the right. That was it. <laughs> And there's really a reason memorable. I switched to the other side of the camera. <laughs> I don't know, Frank. That was powerful. And <laughs> oh, thank you. I, really I liked it very much. Thank you, Chris. Uh, regular listeners to this podcast will know that I quote Last Crusade uh, alarmingly regularly mm. uh, every single week. Uh, I'm, I'm constantly doing, I shall be remembered by Charlemagne. I'm suddenly doing, doing something, you know. <laughs> I have to ask about Last Crusade. I have to ask about Sean. Oh. Bringing oh. Sean on and letting him be weird. Which I imagine he appreciated? Yes. At first, he wanted to be the uh, character you would think, which yeah. is that Indiana Jones was learning everything he knew from his father. But the, the twist, the flipping it on his head, is what made it weird and what made it great, is that he was just this fish out of water. Mm. And that's why it's so fun. And Sean just loved that. Yeah, it's a it's a beautiful performance. That's the the Sean Connery Appreciation Society going <laughs> yes, past. Just the side car. Yeah, that was the side car. Right. That's the scene we shot. Yeah, thank you, thank you, Sean. <laughs> right now, and uh, that last shot that you that you you nailed, Frank, in the in the movie of them them going away. That that was clearly always designed as the last shot. Yes. Yeah. It was in the script. Yeah. 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 And uh, Stephen didn't want to shoot that himself. It I was think during that's... post. He was okay. in the cutting room. Um, 
And, uh, you know, in those days, we had a lot of those little units, second units. Um, well, in fairness, Frank, you he had you doing a yeah, lot was, of second unit. That was... That was a, a big part of the process. That's how we stayed on schedule. Yeah. Don't tell Stephen this. <laughs> We're done. Franks, could you hang around here and do four or five shots of the plane taking off? <laughs> uh, sure, Stephen. <laughs> it was fun. And you know, when you're when you're directing the second unit, you're emulating or copying or imitating what the first unit director would do. So it was a great film school for me that I was trying to imitate what Stephen, and he'd give me these little drawings on napkins, so I had those around, but to design the shot so it looked like his. I mm. didn't want my own stamp on it. So between doing that with Stephen and with Bob Zemeckis, I had just this fantastic training ground as a director. Did Bob Zemeckis do that in, in the same way? Because uh, Stephen seems I, to be sketching. No, he didn't sketching. do the napkin thing. He actually <laughs> did a storyboard. <laughs> I just I have images of you holding up a napkin uh, at, at the camera yeah. going, is that no, my, probably my, the same? My finest moment on Back to the Future was directing the dog, uh, Einstein. I got him to bark on cue. It was really... <laughs> That is amazing. I love that. Uh, I've got to ask about River Phoenix as well in that movie. Oh. He's so so yeah. great. He was so great. He he. That in fact, casting him. I remember at the time he wasn't really that well known. I'm trying to remember. Was Stand, Stand by, by Me had come out yeah, before? Yeah. Okay, oh, then, yeah. that's yes. So he was he he'd reached some height of success with that, but he was. He was a delight to work with, and he was somebody who just looked up to Harrison in a way that it was very much a father-son kind of dynamic. Yeah, and Harrison spent a lot of time with him talking about the character and the little nuances that he had with the character that and River was fascinated mm. and really absorbed, loved talking about it so he could bring it to the, the young indie. Yeah. So it was really great. And there we were on location in, again in New Mexico with this great train and the circus and all of those things. You know, again, it was just um, such fun and such an adventure for us. And I think, too, though, that what Moab, a stamp is and certainly help River is that because we're doing everything in camera. Yeah. There's so much today where the process starts out by, okay, we'll do this piece where we shoot it here and then we're going to, you know, add to the set and we're going to do a CG train and we're going to film this in, you know, on the stage and it's in pieces. When you, when you actually get to walk onto a set and you have to execute everything in real time, which so rarely happens nowadays, it's that's very different. And for a young actor like River, that was everything. We're in Moab, Utah, and you know, we again on an adventure ourselves mm -hmm. with the horses and the crane and the incredible scenery that we had there. And it added to I think what the actors were. It feeling. does. I, I think Stephen always said that. He he felt it was really important that the energy behind the camera gets transferred onto the screen. And I think that's a that's yeah. a more complicated process these days with how, you know, again, we're doing things in so many different pieces. It's really yeah. difficult to stay, you know, in the momentum of the moment. And 
I think he's right. You know, oftentimes he was the one driving the set even more so than an AD because he wanted that energy on the screen. Kathy, so you're not in Temple of Doom, but Frank, you are in Raiders and kind of in Last Crusade as well, Dr. Fantasy. Uh, with, yes. Yeah, which is <laughs> yes. a lovely little, yes. lovely little touch. Little, uh, on the train. On you, the train, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, and it's a magic trick of how he gets out. Yeah. Yeah, well, I designed that trick. I have, <laughs> I have the copyright on the magic trunk that he gets in and, and goes in. With a tip of a hat to Ricky Jay. Yes. Oh, the yes. great Ricky Jay. Fantastic. And then one last thing about, about Crystal Skull as well. So you, you fast forward 19 years later, Harrison refocus the Bye Bye Indy. <laughs> goes comes back in for one more go. And that now movie... we're in Hello Indy. <laughs> <laughs> hello, 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 Indy. I remember you. Yes, yes, yeah. yes. Uh, and that movie does seem from the outside that you, you know, there's a lot of practical stuff, but there was also a lot of CG as well. Was that something that you talked about, trying to keep the, the spirit of indie while at the same time? You know, I think in, in an interesting it. way, it's a bit of a product of deciding that we were making the movie in the States yeah. and that we were not going to be doing the level of traveling that we had done with the other movies. And that necessitated doing a lot more work with adding on to sets with CG and whatnot. And I think at the time, and certainly with George being a huge partner in this, we felt that ILM was more than equipped to handle that. But it, you know, that was at the beginning of the use of of CG work with what we were doing with Indy and Jurassic Park and, yeah, and what George had done with with Star Wars, that that now we realize that that's actually something that pushes you away a bit because it's that sense of what is real and unreal. And because indie is so fundamentally based on shooting things in reality, I think if we had the choice again, we probably wouldn't have done that. And that was something that Jim was really adamant about with this movie, even though, again, the story necessitated some CG work, but he really drove everybody to try to do as much in camera as we possibly could. That's why we went to Sicily. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. it's part of the story. It's the real place. You can, you know, if you have to ad lib and say, oh, we can't shoot this way, you can do it this way. It's there. It's real. It's what it was. And that's why you have Harrison as well, even yeah. though you, you know, I think people know now there's a, a, a large prologue at the beginning of the movie where we see a, a de-aged uh, mm -hmm. indie. Yeah. But that's but Harrison. But he's driving the tech on that. Precisely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And you can feel it yeah. as well in, in the bones of the character. Uh, well, guys, it is very, very sad that this is the end of the road for indie, but uh, but uh, it's it's been wonderful talking to you both. And uh, thanks so much indeed for your time. Thanks, Chris. Thank you, Chris. Good to talk to you. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, so that was Kathleen Kennedy and Frank Marshall. And weirdly, we they are also going to be part of an Empire podcast special that will be putting up very, very soon uh, because uh, the Empire VIP Club, which is fantastic. Sign up now, empireonline.com forward slash VIP, I'm guessing, Jimbo. Sure. You have no idea, but that's fine. <laughs> uh, is 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 uh, exists and uh, it is awesome. And you get a magazine subscription and the spoiler special subscription, and you also get the chance to come to events like the one we had the other night when we screened Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny for about three hundred VIP Club subscribers. And then afterwards, James Mangold, Kathleen Kennedy, and Frank Marshall came along and spoke to our Ian Freer. And that Q&A uh, is going to be up as its own special. But luckily, there was very little 
cross-pollination of anecdotes. So so that's good. So you'll be hearing some some new stuff. And yes, Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny is getting the spoiler special treatment as well. I sat down with Jim Mangold just the other day and we had a good old natter about that movie. So that spoiler special will be out in about two weeks or so. And there's so much, so much good spoiler special content coming your way. Uh, Mr. McQuarrie, notwithstanding, there's a lot of other stuff uh, as well. So sign up now. Two ninety nine a month. $32.99 a year. Empire.supportingcast.fm Yes, it is. Sounds good. Empire. It's exactly the same link, in fact, that you can use to sign up to Pilot Plus. Oh, here he goes. Here he uh, goes. Saying, it gives you the option of both, so sign up to both at the same time. Why don't we do like a package deal thing? I don't understand. You know, this is... It's beyond us. It's, 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 it's beyond our capacity. It is. It is. Uh, anyway, sign up to those things, and now it's time to talk about the, the movies that are coming out this week. And there are a couple of other movies out, but uh, by and large, uh, the studios are, are running scared of Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. Should they? Helen O'Hara, this is the fifth Indiana Jones film, the first one there for 15 years. And let's be honest, unless they reboot five, 10 years down the line with a new actor, good luck. Good luck with that. Ooh. This is the last Indiana Jones movie because Harrison Ford is finally hanging up the hat and the whip after this. Um, but what do you make of this one? Yeah, I was I was pleasantly surprised is the wrong word, but pleasantly ple- you know entertained by it. I had a really good time. So this starts in 1944 uh, with uh, how dare you, sir? Yes, with a de-aged uh, Indiana Jones, Harrison Ford, obviously, um, you know, fighting in the last days of World War Two to protect antiquities from those evil Nazis who are basically <laughs> trying to steal or destroy everything as they retreat. In the process, he comes into contact with the Antikythera, which is a device built by Archimedes that in this reality has strange eldritch powers. We won't get into too much. Alexandretta. And wouldn't you know it, there's a mad Nazi scientist played by Mads Mikkelsen who's also after the same thing. Cut to 1969. Indy is older. He is, frankly, the worst for wear. He is retiring. He is uh, unhappy with his life, frankly. Uh, And into this rather grey, dull existence comes his long-lost goddaughter, Helena, played by Phoebe Waller-Bridge. And she's looking to learn more about the Antikythera. And she has plans to get her hands on the other half. And so begins a race against time. Because wouldn't you know it, the mad Nazi scientist is now a mad rocket scientist helping to put Americans on the moon. And he's still around and after them. Nazis. I hate these guys. <laughs> They're the worst. They really are. Um, so look, I there are some nits to be picked with this with this film. I think there's a little bit more CG than we like in mm. our indie films. I think generally the the level of CGI with the greatest of respect to the VFX artists involved should be close to zero. And it is not in this film, even aside from the de-aging, which is beautifully done, but still an imperfect process. James um, does not agree, I believe. I don't agree. No, that, like, that sharp think, intake of breath yeah. tells me he doesn't agree. I'm not yeah. saying, like, like I say, I don't think it's, I think it's very well done technically speaking. I just don't think the technology can give us the result that they really want. It's interesting because, Jimbo, uh, uh, I don't know if you guys noticed this. Did you see us in, in the credits? Because I've seen it twice now and I, I, I saw the second time around. I didn't really get a chance to ask Mangold about this. But the uh, there is a 1944 double. Yeah. Uh, for for Ford, who is Anthony Ingruber, who is the guy who looks 
like the spitting image of young Harrison Ford and who played young Harrison Ford in the age of Adeline. And so oh, they guy, they yeah, used yeah. him as well. Okay, so but that's interesting. That would, that would explain why he doesn't quite move right. I was thinking, well, what so is wrong? And he doesn't quite This is move my right. issue with the de-aging thing. And I had this in The Irishman as well. Like the de-aging technology works very well, but you still have an indie who moves and stands slightly hunched like an old man. And so if you have him look young but move old, something in your brain doesn't quite yeah, accept Yeah, and it. the light isn't quite right on the face. Yeah. But, but also, it's not even just like, because the bit the bit that really actually struck me was an action-y bit, which presumably was not 79-year-old Harrison no. Ford. It was probably his body double yeah. for that bit. But that body double, no matter how much he looks like Harrison Ford, just reacted in a slightly different way to the action. And I, I just the I interesting had this thing moment is that, of like, that, that's not indie. In Raiders and Temple of Doom, there was a stunt double for Harrison Ford. <laughs> yeah, that's true, yeah. Yeah. yeah, 100%. So it wasn't Harrison Ford doing but I all don't know. I don't know what it was that really just, there was just this so, moment that I was like, oh, anyway, what you're saying I don't is want to harp they, on it. What you're saying is they should de-age Vic Armstrong. <laughs> yes, <laughs> that's what we're saying. That would solve it. Look, I don't want to harp on this. It's one little bit of the movie, you you, know, you can get past it. My issue with, with CG and stuff was, was more a few kind of like backgrounds and things later. Yeah. Yeah. Where I was like, there's obvious compositing. You're, you're, you're mm. there. You are there in on location. I don't understand why I'm watching a composite. I, mm. I, I don't think I need to be. But anyway, yeah. so there were there were moments like that that took me out of it. I think the pace is really good. I think I think Mangold does get the the sort of Spielbergian Indiana Jonesy pace right. I think it feels quick. It feels it feels lively, um, and it also feels like a story about aging and grief and and things that we've lost. And mm. and so I think it you know it, that all works. I thought the the kind of the MacGuffin worked with the themes as it does in the best um, in the best Indiana Jones movies. I thought Phoebe Waller Bridge was loads of fun. Um, not always. You know, she's definitely not always likable. I, th- I don't think she's meant to be, but I think she's always kind of interesting and lively, and that was quite fun. So, so some of the banter wasn't quite as sharp as I wanted. Sometimes it wasn't as funny as I wanted. And like I say, I had a little bit of issue with with some of the CG, but generally I had a really good time. I was very entertained, and I and I went in with, I think, moderate expectations because you know the, the reviews have not all been. No. brilliant but I had a really good time I, I enjoyed it I think a fair bit less than you I wonder sometimes whether it depends on probably not in your case because I know you love the Indiana Jones films as well but I wonder if you go into these films kind of not expecting all that much you'll have, mm. there's, you'll have like there's a good film at its heart it's an adventure it's well staged it's really competently put together there's some really fun sequences in it but I think you know, it's difficult when you love the original trilogy so much. And look, going into this, the the best this film could really hope was to be the fourth best Indiana Jones film, yeah. which it is, comfortably, which it, is, yeah. which it absolutely is. Like, it was not going to be better than any of those original films. But I suppose the point where this is like, if it was like a greatest hits package, I could almost accept that. But it felt to me like a kind of mediocre hits package where it, it, it did everything competently but it didn't do anything brilliantly and so all the way through I was like it's fine but there were moments where my attention was wandering and I don't want that to happen in, in, in an indie film so I was a, a little bit I think disappointed by that yeah I mean you're right we could bang on about the de-aging forever I don't I, it is a small part of the film and it's not a big deal though I will say just on that point I do feel a little bit like they clearly made the decision that they thought Harrison Ford should play indie at all times except when doing stunts and I understand and, and respect that choice but I think if you are going to have a young Indiana Jones and it is only for a small part of the film just bring in a body double mm. and put his face on it and also while you're at it do 
and I know it sounds like blasphemy, but he has old man voice. He doesn't sound like young, young Indian anymore. They have anymore. messed with his voice, though. Yeah, they've tried. But yeah. do what they did with Hamill in, in Mandalorian and just use a computer composite of young Indy's voice. Because I feel like if you are trying to give us young Indy and you have the technology to do young Indy, while I respect the fidelity of getting Harrison to do it, just I, I would go for verisimilitude, really. That would be my, my, my choice in this. Yeah. Rightly or wrongly. Fair enough. Yeah. Eddie, looking forward to it? Yeah, 100%. I will be seeing it like later today or tomorrow. Oh, exciting. I'm, I'm mm. yeah, I've been working flat out. So I'm, I'm very excited to see it. And, and I was very excited to see Kingdom of the Crystal Skull kick when, when it came out. Mm. So mm. <laughs> I, mean, I, was, I don't know what to say. I, was, I, could, which I was, could tell you a story about that film, which, you know, but I, I want to support the movie, but, you know, it was disappointing. And I was. remember seeing Frank Marshall saying, yeah, well, there's no CG in this movie and all the creatures are real. And then there was all those red ants. And I was like, dude. There's just yeah. loads of CG ants. And the gophers anyway, and the monkeys. I'm so sorry. I'm literally, so sorry. Literally I'm so the sorry. first shot in the movie I, is a CG gopher or yeah. a CG groundhog, whatever yeah. the hell it is. Uh, but uh, yeah. The fridge. I, you the know, fridge. On. Nuke the fridge. I remember very, mm. very strongly seeing Kingdom of the Crystal Skull at Cannes and going into Cannes and going in with such high expectations and coming out just utterly despondent. I, I spoke life to you had been drained from me. <laughs> I was the reviews editor at the time and I spoke to you afterwards and mm. you were you were upset. But then I spoke to Damo who had a really lovely time. Oh, so, but bless you know. him, he, he was, he's Marcus Brody. I mean, he, he, <laughs> he had no idea what he, would, he had just seen. With any luck, he's got the grail already. Yeah. But, uh, you know, it, it was it was <laughs> profound and crushing disappointment. What I thought was interesting, like, you know, with the, the interview with Frank Marshall and Kathy Kennedy was, you know, I, we, we brought it up right at the end. But I, you know, I think they know. I think they know that it wasn't that good yeah. a movie. It wasn't. I don't think anyone brought their a game to that that movie, apart from Ford, who's really well, and really John good. Williams. And John and Williams, John Williams, yeah. Always yeah. yeah, he doesn't yeah. have another yeah. game. He, he does, doesn't he does know. Not have another yeah. game. He only no. has another game. He doesn't yeah. know B, which is uh, which is a real uh, <laughs> challenge for a composer, challenge for yeah. composer. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's due to his detriment, he does not recognize B. Um, but yeah, I, I, this movie, I was, I was. I'm more optimistic about, but still worried. Obviously, no Spielberg. And Mangold's great. You know, he's an old school uh, Hollywood guy, but does he have the visual wit of Spielberg? Probably on reflection, no, but I think also he he knows that. And he so he plays to his strengths. I think anyone expecting this to be Logan 2.0 will be will be disappointed as well. It is a bit more about Ella, you know, it's a bit more Ella Gag. It's a bit more about the aging action hero. Uh, but by and large, it's also a, a you know swashbuckling Indiana Jones thriller that, for me, doesn't reach the heights of the first three, but then very few films do. Mm. And there's no shame in that whatsoever. But it's a it's a well well written, well acted. Ford in particular is incredible in this. You know, yeah. You know, weirdly enough, looking at doing that that question at the beginning, you know, about your your favorite non franchise Harrison Ford movie. Maybe, you know, looking at the IMDb, trying to come up with something that wasn't The Fugitive or Air Force One or Witness, you bastards, uh, <laughs> was actually a bit too tough because... Because he's not above franchises. He doesn't He doesn't see it as a bad thing. He's made a lot of franchises, but I would also say that the last 10, 15 years of his career, maybe even 20 years of his career, there have been some poor choices. <laughs> uh, and there have been famously a lot of films that he's turned down that he might have been brilliant in. He turned down the Michael Douglas role in Traffic, for example. you know. And I think that there's a great, great actor in there. 
And I don't know what it is. Like something has lit a fire under his ass recently because he's doing this, he's doing shrinking, he's yeah. doing uh, 1923 mm. as well. And it feels like he is, I'm not suggesting in any way, shape or form that he was coasting through his career because he clearly wasn't. But it feels like something has galvanized him. Maybe it is, you know, he's raging against a dying of a light. Maybe it is that. And maybe he's got, you know, he's got one more great innings in him. But there's an, there's some there's some really really great moments in this, like you know one of the, one of the things about Ford as Indy throughout the the first, well yeah he's really great in Crystal Skull as well. So throughout the previous indie movies, so these are great movie star performances. Yeah, yeah. this is one of the first times that he really gets to play a human being as well mm-hmm. as Indiana Jones, and there's some really really lovely heart rending moments there's one speech in particular to Phoebe Waller Bridge on, yeah. a, on a boat which you'll know, you'll know when you see it oh I'm so he's excited just, he's so oh, good he's so tease, good you tease you tease. Uh, <laughs> you tease you tease you tease you tease uh, we'll tease you with this we gave this one four stars uh, four stars then yeah. for Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny it's a movie I'm very much looking forward to getting into in the spoiler special styly uh, down the line we can actually talk about stuff instead of tiptoeing around it <laughs> as we just did but four stars then for the new indie uh, there are some brave, brave and foolhardy <laughs> souls. There's a film starring Sarah Snook, which is uh, snooked out onto um, uh, Netflix. Oh it's called Run, Rabbit, Run. Uh, and we'll review that on next week's uh, show. It's a psychological thriller that was shot some time ago, I believe. Um, draw your own conclusions from that. Uh, we'll talk about that in next week's show. But there's a an animated movie called Ruby Gilman, Teenage Kraken. Yes. Um, that's so a Kraken. That's a Kraken. So this is a, a little... Let's call her a girl, voiced by Lana Condor, who's growing up in a seaside town. Very cool design, by the way, for this film. Very cool seaside town. And her mother, voiced by Toni Collette, uh, has always told her to stay away from the sea. And it turns out... Uh, well, first of all, it turns out that's a problem because her prom is going to be on a boat and she's very keen to go. Secondly, it turns out that that's because she will transform into a giant kraken <laughs> if she goes in the water. We've all been there. It's very relatable. Um, and and basically, this is, uh, this is a story where she finds out that basically the women in her family are giant krakens, hereditary guardians of the sea, uh, destined to protect it from evil mermaids and the like. Um, so, so yeah, so that's that's her job and that's the identity that she has to struggle with while also trying to, you know, go to prom, I guess. So it's very cute. It's a little bit like Turning Red was in some respects um, a couple of years back. Uh, not quite as good as that, but you know, I was entertained. Jane Fonda voices her grandma. You've got people like mm. Coleman Domingo in there and Annie Murphy. Really, really great voice cast. Um, like I say, beautiful design. But I do feel like it's very much that usual kind of be yourself message, which nothing against, good message, but we've seen it in a million different animated films. And this is not, you know, wildly original, different or sort of you know, memorable in that way. So it's it's really likable. You'll have a nice time while you're watching it. It's like 85 minutes or something, um, but you won't necessarily be thinking about it in a few weeks' time. Sounds great. But no, it's like <laughs> yeah. genuinely, it's it's, yeah. it's fine. There's nothing against it. I just... Is it DreamWorks? Yeah. It's DreamWorks, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. with a new logo at the beginning, which, you know, that's a whole other thing. So. Okay. So one star <laughs> off for the logo, but for me, it's a three-star <laughs> film, you know. <laughs> That logo is about four hours long. Oh, <laughs> that logo's longer is that than the logo film? that flies past all the characters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And it's such a, a beautiful logo to begin with. I yeah. don't mess with perfection. Anyway, so yeah, so that mm. is out this week. I would personally give it three stars. I don't think we have an Empire review up yet. 
Um, and then the other one that's out this week is La Syndicaliste, which is Isabelle Huppert as oh. a French, um, she's kind of an odd uh, situation that we don't necessarily exactly have in this country, but she is a, a in very se- a very senior role representing labour in a, a sort of French um, nuclear agency. So she represents the workers essentially against the management, but she's working in the building with the management you know, trying to keep everything on track. And she discovers something. She discovers that there is, um, there are secret deals afoot to, to basically sell stuff to the Chinese. And she tries to whistleblow and is attacked in her house or claims she has been attacked in her house. And uh, and then lots of sort of conspiracy-minded stuff happens, which I won't get into for fear of spoiling it. This was interesting because I thought that I thought it was a fascinating story. I didn't know where it was going from one moment to the next. It is based on a true story and a book that's been written on it. But it will kind of, it does do quite a good job of sort of keeping you guessing. What was odd to me is that Isabelle Huppert is very dialed back in it, presumably based on the real person. Mm. Very, very dialed back to the point where you're not always sure what you're meant to think of her or how you're meant to feel or how she's feeling. And that is deliberate and built into the character, but to a degree that I didn't really expect. And it makes it a little bit hard to to engage with, but really a fascinating, terrifying, strange story. Um, so yeah, worth a look. If you're if you've had your fill of, you know, blockbuster, you know, swashbuckling, then this is absolutely the opposite of that. In a good way, you know. All right. Blimey. Jimbo, see anything this week? An awful lot of TV. <laughs> For obviously the Pilot TV podcast, but specifically I have a couple of big interviews, both of which required me to watch 10 hours of television. Wow. So yeah, it, it, it's been a lot. Why, why did they both, why did they require you to watch 10 hours of TV? Well, because when, when you do a spoiler interview, you have to oh, have a spoiler seen interview. the whole thing. Yes. Who are you doing? It's, I can't say at this particular stage because it hasn't happened yet and I'm concerned it won't, so I don't want to do it. All right. Uh, but yeah. Is it Coronation Street? It is Are Coronation Street. Yes, that's exactly what's happening. The Coronation yes. Street spoiler special. You've uh, watched 65 years. I have watched 65 <laughs> three years of it. Uh, I've gone back to the beginning. No, it's something I'm very excited about, which I wasn't even sure was coming back and is coming back, and it's uh, a very good show. So that's good. Mm. Mm. Anyway, on that note, that is it for this week's Empire Podcast. I'm accelerating this outro because I need to go pick up my daughter from school. <laughs> um, and uh, join us next week for more film-related fun where we'll be joined by uh, Leah Lewis and Mamadou Athi, the stars of Pixar's new movie, Elemental. And there may be at least one member of the cast of Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1 uh, in the mix as well because that's out in two weeks' time. Anyway, it is time to say goodbye to my three colleagues of such lethal cunning. Helen O'Hara, goodbye. Toodaloo. You know, I'm going to grill you about your Glastonbury experiences. I know you are. <laughs> <laughs> Next week. Just not this week, yeah. yeah. Uh, it's goodbye from James Dyer. Goodbye, Chris. It's goodbye from Eddie Hamilton. Bye-bye, Chris. Thank you for having me. Eddie, you are welcome back anytime. I think in a few weeks' time, once Mission has, uh, has is out there, we can come back and we'll, we'll pump you for information. That'd be fun. <laughs> yeah. All right. Information. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> We're on a mission to ask about Mission. Uh, thank you so much for listening. See you next time. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.